welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. Happy early Thanksgiving. So by the time that you're listening to this, it's going to be Thanksgiving week. So hopefully everybody is staying safe and responsible during this uh, very peculiar holiday season. Let's just put it that way. But wishing everybody the best. We've we've got a lot to be thankful for, even though it doesn't always seem that way. But going into this podcast, we've got a few things to talk about Ducks related. We kind of sort of have news to talk about. It's not major news. It's actually kind of the opposite of major um, but we do have some news to talk about. Jake, do you want to take a guess at what those news are? Uh, is the news, um, is it the NHL network list? Yes. Is, okay. I was going to say it's yes. either that or the World Junior Camp. But real quick, you want to give the people a little bit insight of why we started three minutes late or four minutes late? Uh, technical issues. <laughs> right? No. Like that's... No, no, no. It was the fact that at 7.59, Felix and I decided that we were going to uh, pour out some whiskey and have this uh, uh, be a little bit of a fun podcast here. Well, that was... You're 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 really overstating my the we, kind of role. The we? The, the, yeah, the role in this decision. I mean, I support the decision, but... <laughs> You were definitely the main driver yeah. of this of this idea, which I'm fine with. You know, sometimes you need that wild card element. I mean, gotta have the wild as card. As I take a, a healthy sip. Um, so yeah, let's. Uh, this gonna be kind of more of a laid back episode, folks. You know, we're we're usually kind of hopefully, uh, you know, professional and and keeping it really tight in terms of our script. But this week, it's a holiday week for a lot of people. I personally have uh, a couple days off starting Wednesday, so I'm I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling relaxed or as relaxed as is possible in in this year. <laughs> um, so, so let's uh wait. The, the, see, see, seeing as you're you're relaxed here, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with yes. a wild card right now. Oh, last dear. episode, oh dear. Last episode, we did Jersey mm-hmm. talk for a fair amount, and mm-hmm. a big part of that Jersey talk was. Uh, expectations going into the Monday Jersey release. Mm-hmm. We have not actually done a oh. podcast since they That's released true. the reverse retro jerseys. So I That's think we actually... should do a brief little recap of what they, they were like. What one this is true. missed the mark from what we expected when we recorded last week? What? Let's do a quick recap of, because I think there's one that comes to mind, or two that instantly come to mind of ones that look like they were going to be great based upon I feel, the, the teaser. I, I feel like we've talked about this jersey now for like four episodes in a row. Yeah, they, there hasn't been a lot of news lately, <laughs> Felix. <laughs> this jersey has single-handedly dominated our podcast. Well, we also did a Patreon episode on it, so that's a big reason well, why. Yeah, but I mean, it counts. But still counts. The, the two, and I, let me get your take on this. The two that mm-hmm. looked so good when we went through the aesthetic um, article last week that just turned out awful in comparison to those not awful but worse i guess than those two the dallas stars are the first one okay the, well, well let, let, why don't we start with the ducks just real quick okay let's just let's just give a ducks you know a preference here so the ducks jersey is pretty much what everybody expected for the jersey dorks like us two some little minor tweaks so officially they brought back the original wild wing logo no alterations to wild wings jersey color um, the bottom stripe is teal, which I think some people didn't jade. necessarily expect. It's jade. No, well, it's a very dark jade. Yes, it's not teal. The ducks have never had teal in their color scheme. 
Well, I've heard people. I've heard some people say that it's teal. So yes, I don't know what to believe There are people out there anymore. that say it's teal, but those are not actual people that are in the okay. know on the Ducks organization. It's jade. Well, there it's a, ne- it's a, it's, but it's a the that jade is darker than the jade on the shoulders, for example. What? I'm talking about the the one on the bottom of the jersey. The bottom's the same color as the top. No, it's darker. I think you're lying here. I have it on screen right now. And why would I be lying? I, I think you're lying. <laughs> no, I'm staring at it. But fair enough, for sure. I, I disagree. Okay, sure. so you agree. <laughs> we agree on we have we have equal vision capabilities. That's good. Um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, those are really the only tweaks, right? I mean, we're we're really grasping at straws here. Your thoughts, your final just Love set it. in stone thoughts. Love it. Love bon- it. Bonnie's in our Twitch chat right now, just just slandering this jersey, and I'm some not. Some people have really it. hate it. Some but people some, really despise well, it. And, and it's funny. I think a big reason. I mentioned this in uh, our text message. I think a lot of it has to do with your age, and especially with when you you saw this jersey. I think the the big reason why I love this is the nostalgia of it. It, it goes back to my childhood. It makes me think of the Mighty Ducks cartoons. I don't think I actually ever saw this jersey in action. I don't have any recollection of that. But when I see this, I think of the Mighty Ducks cartoon and I think of Wild Wing and that. And mm-hmm. to me, that just that just makes me happy. And I think the thing that I think everyone should get around to on this is that this is what the reverse retro program was meant to be. It was meant to be you going with something in your past that wasn't exactly this perfect jersey wasn't meant to be the, this great thing and then modified in some ways it was supposed to be a really fun program this is not meant to be a jersey that sticks with the franchise forever that is going to be the third or fourth jersey forever that's not what this program was intended to do this program mm-hmm. was intended to take something from your your the past something in the past modify it in some ways whether that's to your current colors or in different things but make some modification to it to create a fun new look for everyone out there to potentially do and I mean, I think that this was a direct, um, not a competition, but because of the fact that you look at the NBA, look at the amount of jerseys that they're putting out and what are the, I, you would probably know better than me being a bigger NBA fan, but don't they have like different names for the different types of jerseys that they have? Yeah. So like there's the, there's the association jersey. They actually don't have home or away or an alternate. They have, I think four different kinds of variations that have, you know, kind of unique names. Yeah, so. but I, I think that that's but they every team kind of has this unique weird looking jersey. The one that comes to mind right away is the Miami Heat having their Miami Vice jersey, and it's something yeah. unique, something different, something that can transcend the sport in some ways because mm-hmm. of how cool looking it is. And to me, that's what this program was about, and that's well, what this Ducks jersey mm-hmm. does. It creates this very unique, very different jersey that is going to split the masses because. It's funny, I read a couple different articles about ranking the the different jerseys, and it was pretty clear based upon the age of the person where they were going to put it. The couple of people mm-hmm. that I read that loved it were all typically similar age to you and me, someone that grew up in the 90s with these colors, with the Mighty X cartoon, with a lot of these different things. And then people who hated it are more so a little bit of the older generation, probably people that didn't like the fact that Disney owned a team or that it's too cartoony, too childish, different things like that. And so I, it, it's really split. But I think the thing that I can say about this jersey is I think that this is the one jersey out of all of these that will go above hockey, where you'll see people outside of the hockey community wearing this jersey. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think you're really high on it. 
I I like the I like the jersey more as a concept. I like that they're they're trying something different and because they did have other options. They didn't have a ton of other options, but they could have done something different. They had basically and, two other options. I mean, I guess theoretically they could have taken the Mighty Ducks jersey and done a black and orange version of it. They could have done that. They could have taken the Anaheim jersey, the the third jersey, uh, the the kind of purple, darker purple one or eggplant. Sorry to call it purple. So they they had some options and they went this route and this is this is easily the boldest and uh, most potentially controversial route. So I applaud them for doing that. If I were a you know if I were really a diehard fan of this team, would I be running out to buy this jersey? Maybe maybe not. Oh, I am. <laughs> you know because yeah, but that's just because you that's because that's your kind of vibe. You like these kind of you know more out there jerseys, I like but other other people don't, no, and that's and- totally fine jersey and your feeling about jerseys it's all completely subjective it's i can't complete- believe we're having this conversation again i mean i, it- I i'm i'm legit getting just uh deja vu right now yeah <laughs> yeah but real quick so let's just do a top tier bottom tier mm-hmm. just ones that you loved i mean real quick i said the ones that came out worse than the aesthetics view or look minnesota and dallas are the two that i'm thinking of where minnesota came out basically exactly how they predicted, but instead of using that M logo from their shoulders, they used the wild logo and recolored it. Yeah, but it. I, okay. It's a, no, it's, the jersey's fine, but it's just that M logo made me. But it's still, it's still a really good looking jersey. Sure, I think. but it's worse I mean, than what I was expecting. I mean, it could potentially be better. I, the wild have one of the better logo, in my opinion, in pro sports. And so I, I think it looks great in those colors. I, I think it's kind of true to the concept. So, um, what do you I'm think about the Dallas jersey. one though? The Dallas one with the white on the bottom looks. I weird. still, I mean, again, if you if you're purely looking at it from an expectation of what it was going to be, then yeah, you might be a little disappointed because the rumored uh, version of this jersey was better. But it's still kind of cool looking. It's it's out there. It's a more aggressive version of their original jerseys. We're not all the way original, but kind of their their late '90s jerseys and. The fact that they went all white, it's certainly a look, but I think it'll look sick on the ice. I mean, the the, the guys are going to look really flashy with these jerseys, so I'm I'm fine with that. I think it's still a good jersey. All right, let's real quick, top tier. Give me your top five. Doesn't have to so, be in, in any order, just top five, bottom five. So my favorites, so in my top five, I'd have the Tampa Bay Lightning's jersey because I love, I love that they went back to their original look but put the blue in it while keeping the the black as well. So it's just this really nice meld of the two eras of jerseys. So I'd have that one in the top five. Um, after that, I have the San Jose Sharks in my top five. I love that they went, they finally went back to the original Sharks logo. And uh, I think the gray looks good. It's maybe not the preferred look for some fans, but I, I still think it's a, it's a good jersey overall. I really like the Capitals jersey. I love the fact that they just, did exactly what we talked about with reverse retro, picked an older jersey and just gave it the, the current colors. So love that. I think you you kind of just have to put Lady Liberty in the top five, even though the Ooh. jersey itself, even though the jersey itself is kind of bland, they're gonna look great on the ice. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in my top five. And then to round out the top five, I mean, this is really tough because there's there's a lot of different candidates. I will just throw in the Ottawa Senators because I've always loved the Sens' original jerseys, and I think it looks awesome in red, so I'm putting it in there. But this is just kind of an off-the-cuff list. 
I can make arguments for yeah. others, but these are the top so, five for me. My top five, the no particular order except I can clearly say the top what the top two are. The top two are the ducks and the coyotes for me. Though, yeah, I knew, though, I knew those, you'd say that. Those for me are just the top two. And then outside of that, the the three I like outside of that, I probably would put the Quebec uh, or not the Quebec, <laughs> the the Colorado Avalanche jersey. It's just super clean, super good look. Um, and then I would probably have the Washington Capitals jersey, like you said. It's just a this might be the best Capitals jersey they've ever had. Um, yeah. It's just it's. I think that logo is just so much better than their current logo, and I think in the red and blue color scheme, it looks so good. And yeah. then I so what is that? That's four for me. So to round it out, I think I'm torn between two or three different ones, basically. But you know what? I'm gonna go with the Florida Panthers. I think the Florida Panthers look with that with that logo. It looks really good. Um, it's a really really clean look. And to be honest, this is my one thing about this: the reverse retro is not meant to create a jersey to replace your home and away. But the Florida Panthers jersey looks better than anything they wear now. And same thing yeah. with the Capitals. The the two of the ones I picked are two that probably should just be their home and away, which isn't exactly the purpose of this this uh, this uh, reverse retro so series. My bo- my bottom five, my bottom tier, uh, Detroit Red Wings easily yeah. in there, Boston Bruins, Toronto Maple Leafs, and then after that the Jets. I mean, I don't hate that jersey necessarily, but it's it just so It should have been the Thrasher's and... jersey. The Thrash, using it, instead of Atlanta, it says Winnipeg on the sleeve. Okay, well then, and then my last one would probably be Chicago. I just I just don't care about that jersey. I know that some people think it's the best in, in the league and Ooh. in sports, but oh, I just don't sorry. care about got it. it. Got it, But my only thing, so one thing that I read, and I don't know if this is true, is that the Winnipeg franchise actually doesn't own the rights to the Thrashers logos and colors. So they, they, they're, I don't know if that's true and how that, that could be overcome if they really wanted to go that route, but apparently they just don't have access. They, they're not able to use that look. So Are they not able to? I mean, not using a logo, I guess, would make some sense, but the entire... I also just, I also just think that there's there's no way that they would want to no, actually but I do don't, that. I don't <laughs> think there's a a copyright on a jersey scheme that would well make no sense i mean it's me. it's well but if you're gonna bring back the the jersey you know or you can, you're, you're if you're gonna bring back the logo you're probably gonna no, want to bring back i'm not necessarily the jersey. saying bring back the logo what i'm saying is do that jersey do it in whatever colorization oh, and I use see. a jets jets logo on it yeah and, i get what you're saying and you see yeah. winnipeg on the sleeve that's a way where you don't have to deal with the copyright issues i don't think you can copyright a jersey template that wouldn't make any sense to me, but the logo, uh, I guess, would. But who you'd knows? You'd be surprised. It's so, very open-ended. But well, some other jerseys that I really liked that might not be as popular, I actually kind of like the Columbus Blue Jackets jersey just because it's it's kind of out there, and I, I like that they brought back that terrible original logo. <laughs> and I kind of like – this is easily the most boring one, but I kind of like the Navy version of the Islanders in the adidas cut it just looks nice it's classy Why? it's it's so stupid it's just boring it's it, boring it, it's not they should have done the fisherman they should have done yeah. the fisherman if you're gonna but, like that that's the thing and that's where i give the ducks so much props and why even if you don't love the jersey you have to give the team so much credit for bringing him back is that's the purpose of this entire series yeah is to but do something that's funky. that's your that's your view but, that's your view no, but that um, is legitimately the purpose of this is to have something unique, something different in your look that's only going to be used for a couple of games. 
not necessarily there's nothing that says it has to be unique that was the purpose of this i think regardless i think we both agree that's the reason why adidas did this is they wanted to to match kind of what the nba has done and this will this will drive you up the wall i kind of like the predators jersey it's Um, fine and then i hate it and then another one better than their current one Another one that I really thought about putting in my top five was the Blues. I mean, it's just an awesome jersey. Love that era. Blues and of the red blues. looks weird, though. Yeah, but it looks it's just a good jersey. It, it just looks good. Fair. Um, the thing with the Nordiques one, I just it just feels weird to bring it back in not the original colors. There's just something about that that just doesn't make sense to oh, me. I, but I like it more that it's not in the original colors because, uh, honestly, that's my issue with the, the Hurricanes bringing back the Whalers jersey is that you you didn't do anything to it necessarily and so if you're gonna bring back the whalers do yeah. something to it in the if you're doing it for the reverse retro do it in in red and black or, or do something like that don't just do the the blue and the green with okay. it this isn't meant to be a straight retro and, and yeah. so that's where i i actually like the fact that the avalanche brought it back in uh what would it be burgundy uh burgundy and white because it it's this more unique more kind of tailored to the new franchise look I mean, so, it's not really unique. It's just swapping the colors on it. Like it's fair, just, just it's taking the fair. exact. <laughs> I mean, fair. come on. Um, Fine. Okay, but um, so let's move on what, from wait, that. What were let's I didn't give on. my bottom five. Oh, you didn't? No, okay. you've just been rambling on it. You you go, gave you go gave, for your you gave your bottom, bottom five, five, and then we're just kind of going on ones let's, that you let, liked. More. Let's hear it. So it's gonna be Detroit. Detroit barely tried. Edmonton, same type of thing. Barely tried um recolored shoulders Big i don't deal. mind edmonton's though it's just it's they barely tried they barely tried that, but you got to think you got to think about it with for edmonton though they they legitimately don't have yes that they many do options they have one option one is not that many no but they they had the <laughs> option it's the same thing with the islanders though the islanders had one option really the fishermen and they should have done it similar thing with the oilers you you are not approaching this from an objective point of view, you're just looking at this from how it's you jerseys. Would do it. <laughs> so yes, it's personal, <laughs> but you're not even trying to be objective. Anyway, why would I? It's jerseys. Continue. It's all Continue. personal opinion. It's all Continue. personal opinion. Uh, okay. So Red Wings, Oilers, um, Islanders are all in the bottom three. Those are just without a doubt, the complete bottom of the barrel for me. Um, I throw Third. Winnipeg there also. It's not a good yeah. jersey, and it's very bad. Um, it's just boring. It, it Yeah, it's not great. And then probably Chicago also. Um, yeah, there's my bottom I, five. Chicago's is just – it's just – I've seen – they've had so many different retro jerseys at this point. It's just – But it, it's also just like I'm not sure what what's reverse about this. Yeah, well – like for example, the Devils, even though neither of us have mentioned it so far, they basically did exactly what reverse retro yeah. you would think it would do. LA they, Kings, they took another a, one. Yeah, I mean the Kings, whatever. No, but like um, that—that's what this is meant to be, though. Yes, it's meant to be I, taking something and modifying it. Like, I like that. The, that's my issue: is that there are a bunch of teams that kind of half-ass this. Honestly, my favorite favorite jersey of all of these, it might be the Sharks. I just love that oh, jersey. You're so wrong. I just love that jersey. It's not bad. That, it's not. It's not a bad one. But it's you know very what I read? I was. They wrote an article, really good article on NHL.com about the creator of that logo, and uh, it was just cool to hear kind of you know the the behind the scenes. And apparently, the Sharks' original jersey was the second highest selling jersey 
of that era of of any sport. It was second behind the the Chicago Bulls jersey in the nineties. Really when it came out. Yeah. Huh. So it's just an iconic look, and I just think that they nailed it, and they just need to go back to this. Just stop messing around. Um, so yeah, jerseys are fun. Yeah, definitely. Jersey jerseys are very fun. I'm surprised neither of us mentioned Pittsburgh. I kind of like the the, I the don't Penguins mind it. jersey. It's, it's yeah. middle of, it's middle of the road. It's 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 solid. I think yeah. that it does it does what you would expect in a reverse retro. Um, Scientific Lance asked, "What do you think of the Flames jersey? Flames is top tier for me. It's just I'm surprised I haven't. We neither of us have mentioned it. Yeah, I I like the Flames jersey. I think I I I actually think I like this better than the predicted version. With, I agree with just the, the black stripes at the bottom instead of those being red or white because I think it makes the the two stripes, the red and yellow stripes, pop more. And uh, yeah, it's a I, really good looking jersey. Calgary may have one of the best looks in the NHL for this upcoming season." Oh yeah, I mean they've they've figured it's this shocking thing that happens when you just listen to your fans. How much ducks, your approval rating will ducks, go up? Ducks, listen to this right now. <laughs> uh oh, uh oh. I mean, it's funny how much that applies to the eggplant and jade. I also, I mean, now we're just gonna talk about every single jersey. I also really like the sabers. Oh yeah, the sabers is a very very good look and. I heard yeah. some people not liking that it says Buffalo in the the waist strap. But that's that's what the it. original jersey had. I know they just think mm-hmm. that it's not a good look. I love it. I think it. I adds, remember it's unique. I remember using that jersey, the red version of it, in NHL 06 back I in the day. I feel like you just... said this on a podcast already. I don't think I have. Maybe. I mean, I probably said something similar to it. It's possible. <laughs> but yeah, I played I played hours of NHL 06, and so I remember this jersey very well. I guess I have to tokenly talk about the Canadians jersey just because I'm sure someone might be wondering when I'm thinking about it. It's growing on me. It's growing on me. I, I, It's not a bad jersey. There's just something sacrilegious about this team being in blue that I will just never really totally be okay with. So there you go. Did you just drink? Did you just take a, take a shot? I have been uh, listening to, oh my God, Bonnie just threw in our Twitch chat. I think one of the most slanderous things, and I'm tempted to ban her for this. <laughs> okay. And she okay. just said the Kachina jersey is too noisy. Well, look, here's the thing with the Kachina jersey. <sighs> Bonnie, it's Bonnie, Bonnie. It's a look, right? It's not it's not meant to be this um, kind of mainstay home or away jersey. It's it's a one off, right? It's just a from an, a different era of the sublimated jerseys, and this is what you get when you go down that rabbit hole. Well, the and current I, one I is like the, it. The, the reverse retro is the peyote. The Kachina oh, is the current, the one. Oh, the actual with. Kachina. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Both, both well, are great though. Regardless. Either way. Yeah. I think the Kachina is definitely good just because it's so unique and I don't think it's that noisy. And I think for a, a franchise like Arizona, which I don't really know what's gone right for them in the last decade. Any little bit of joy you can elicit out of your fans, I think, is worth taking you know, taking on, and that's what they've done with the Kachina look. So, good for them because in yeah. the hockey side, it's been it's been depressing. <laughs> yeah. So they're actually I mean, having, has your, been... ha- having your having your GM quit before the playoffs start. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's so, a lot going on there. Transitioning to actual hockey talk, there was oh. actually something that I had neither of us had really planned to talk about, but. It, we have a couple oh. questions that mention this, and it reminded me. There was some mm-hmm. chatter this week um, outside of the fact that there is 
ongoing negotiations between the NHL and Players Association that are going a little bit sideways. But I think overall, nah. I mean, yeah, I, it's going to end up with the. the They're league, not going or, sideways. It went sideways a little bit, but I think it's going to. The end thing up is, going what people have to what people have to realize this is kind of a, a pet peeve of mine. You have to think about why this news is being put out there, right? Someone has a vested interest in this being made True. public because if the NHL and the NHLPA wanted to make all of their negotiations private, they might not be able to do it a hundred percent, but they could get very close. And so th- things get leaked in a negotiation to put pressure on the other side. And so some the players, I'm assuming the players probably are, were the ones who aired these grievances or made them really apparent to the media. And so you get this impression as someone in the public thinking, oh, yeah, this is just going down the down the drain. When in reality, we're just all being used as pawns in their greater game yeah. of getting the most and, money possible. And so for anyone that missed it, there's ongoing negotiations between the Players Association and the NHL about how they're going to return to play. And there's negotiations with the NHL wanting the players to, I think, roll back some salary or or defer yeah. some salary, different things like that. So there's a lot in the works. My opinion is it's it's gonna happen. There will be a deal. It's gonna happen. happen. The NHL will be playing in January. Everyone, no one stands. No one benefits from there not being a season. Agreed. Right. Even if the players have to defer, or I guess even if the league has to defer too much of the salaries, or on the flip side of that, that the players get a a combination that they don't really like, they still are worse off if there's no season. So yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> so kind of as a part of that, though, there was also Baseball some, did it. There, there was some more news about the realignment that has been uh, longly spe- or widely speculated for a while now. Gray Wyshynski put out an article that basically the Ducks would be in a division uh, with, it would be, what was it, San Jose, L.A., Arizona, um, Vegas, uh, Dallas, Colorado, Dallas, Colorado, and uh, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. It would be those those eight teams if it was four different eight team divisions. He also speculated maybe you go to five divisions, um, and I don't recall exactly what teams would be in that, but that's his speculation. I don't really see a way five division makes any sense, or, mainly because you would ha- you have the seven team Canadian division, and you're not going to break that up in any way because there's going to be the Canadian division. I think that's pretty much going to happen you're gonna be playing only teams in your division i think is pretty much set in stone also if you're gonna do a canadian division so ducks fans get ready for a lot of uh pretty good teams you're gonna see a lot of la a lot of san jose a lot of colorado a lot of vegas a lot of arizona a lot of dallas a lot of minnesota so um that's kind of the biggest news i think from that to me personally it the playoffs there was some chatter wish was mentioning he could see them doing one through 16 Personally, my opinion, and let me know your your take on this. If you are doing a purely divisional regular season where you're only playing teams in your division, the mo- thing that would make the most sense is do a divisional playoff. So one through four from every division makes the playoffs. Four plays one, two plays three, yeah. and you go that way until you hit, cool. conf- you hit the conference final, or you hit the, what would it be, the, co- uh, the Stanley Cup semifinal. And that makes the most sense because the issue with going purely divisional is you're not cross- crossing your division so it's hard to really say well you have a team with a certain amount of points in one division versus a team with a certain amount of points in another division how do they really compare because they're only playing teams in their division yeah and the thing is i mean the thing that's kind of tricky with all this is that the world could be much different by the time that the nhl is in the playoffs i mean we we see all the news coming out about the vaccines and now they're talking about just 
starting to distribute to certain sectors of the population in, in December, early December. So, uh, you know, by the time May rolls around, who knows? I mean, it's just yeah. one of those things where I think well, right now, yes, you have to operate in the, in the w- with the mind frame that, hey, this is what we're dealing with now is how it's going to be. And, I think, and err on the side of caution. I think divisional gives you that option anyways, though. And I think that's yeah. the benefit of it is that I even if there's a vaccine, most likely you're not going to want teams traveling across country that much, going from town to town that much. So by doing yeah. it divisional, you're keeping it. Now, granted, the Ducks will be playing Minnesota, which is still a pretty long trek, but you're keeping teams geographically playing teams closer to them. And well, so, I also I would honestly be in favor of that playoff system just moving forward because it fosters rivalries, right? And that was the logic behind the current format, except they wanted to add the wild card for some fairness. Yeah, which has kind of thrown things off. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. I mean, it's something to follow. It sounds like the biggest takeaway from a Ducks perspective is the added teams, and it's going to make it harder. Yeah. They don't really have the... <laughs> Yeah, and so they don't that, really they don't really have the 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 kind of the in of being in the Pacific anymore for next season, which so is going to be tough. That leads to this question that we got from Sean Siebel saying, "Could the competitiveness of the new Western Conference, I guess, kind of in that term, uh, the fact that it's a new Western division more so would be what it would be? Would that be good for the Ducks? Higher pot- or a higher potential to miss the playoffs?" Um, and he mentioned that the Ducks did show their flashes. They did play some solid games against some good teams last year. I think they played okay against Colorado. They played okay in a couple games against Vegas and didn't get completely torched by them. So the fact that they did play and play some better games against good teams, it may have a positive effect long uh, long term. But what do you think this this means for the long term impact of the Ducks? Um, it doesn't help. It just it's it's pretty simple. They're not a very good team right now. They're going to be playing better teams more often, so it, it hurts their playoff chances. I don't think that there's any other real answer. Now, if I were to expand on that a bit, I might say, well, playing those teams, you could get scenarios where you often see a, a good team kind of maybe looks past a weaker opponent, and so the Ducks maybe could catch those teams off guard more often. I also think that from a long-term perspective, it probably benefits the younger players in this roster to be playing higher level competition more often, as opposed to playing in the Pacific, you know, the majority of the time, which is, I mean, which has been the weakest division in the league for a little while now. So there's definitely some benefits to it, but just in terms of them being able to make the playoffs, I don't really see how it would help. I mean, at best it's a neutral. Yeah. At best it's a neutral. I think, yeah, the the issue is, is not only are you now competing more closely with Colorado with Dallas. I mean, we can clearly say that Colorado and Vegas are the two top teams in this division. They're pretty much locks to make the playoffs at this point in time with this current for if it was divisional format, Dallas, I mean, there's maybe a fall off coming for them, but they, they just made the, they just made the Stanley they're, they're Cup still, final. they're still the thing with Dallas is that they're, they're just the most, one of the more put together teams in the division. Yeah. And then they're, they're 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 a known commodity. And then underlying number wise, Minnesota, the Minnesota Wild were actually a pretty damn good team last year. Well, and and they may and they could be a fair amount better this upcoming year with the fact that you're going to have Kaprizov join them, Marco Rossi, your boy. Yeah, I mean Kaprizov and and Rossi, I think that they have. I mean, the Wild could be uh, a surprise dark horse type team next year because. 
like you said, they were playing well down the stretch. And now that there's, they don't have the coaching uncertainty that kind of clouded them last season with the influx of high level young talent. I mean, Byron Bader, who, um, you know, we've had on this show who has the hockey prospecting model. He said that it's pretty much, it's extremely rare to see a team get two players of that caliber injected into their lineup in the same season. He, he kind of liked likened it in a way to Kane and Taves joining the Blackhawks. And so, I mean, if it's anywhere close to that, the wild could really take a, a huge step forward next season. Yeah. Now I just realized something that I had not realized until this moment. Let's hear it. Seeing as you and I are going to be watching every Ducks game per usual and end up uh, (laughs) covering it with the podcast, you're going to be able... So if there's like a... Let's say it's a 60-game season or Mm -hmm. whatever. So you're going to be playing a fair amount against the division, potentially 10 games or so, maybe a little bit less than that, against the teams in the division. That means you're going to be able to see Marco Rossi potentially 10 times this season, Felix. Yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) I mean, I'm very excited. So bring it on. Did not realize that until right now. Um, So there's that. Um, So with that being said, ready to move on to the next question. So basically, it's it's harder for the Ducks now. I think there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I I just don't even know how you can spin it any other way. You've replaced, you've essentially replaced the potential playoff teams of being Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary, and Uh you've swapped them with Colorado, Dallas, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That yeah, that's tough. Yeah, it's a tough one. So, all right. So this came from. Let me really quickly get the correct person. I believe his account is Stevie Wonder. On Twitter, uh, StepChicken883, he mentioned this to me a little bit ago, and we didn't get to it, so I want to jump into it now. Um, he said, just got wind, and this is from the ECHL's website, that starting that the ECHL is looking to start on December 11th, so in a couple weeks. I don't know if there's an update on that actually happening, but with 13 teams from states that don't believe in COVID, basically Florida, South Carolina, Texas, and the Ducks affiliate, uh, the Tulsa Oilers being one of them. With a potentially large gap between the start of the NHL-AHL season, who are some players' prospects that we could see play in this league in about a month? Also curious on your thoughts of this league even attempting this when nearly full-capacity crowds aren't expected to be in arenas. Maybe the Ducks don't even send guys because of that risk. Thanks, and have a great show. So, what are your thoughts on the ECHL starting up right now? And do you think we'll see any of the Ducks' prospects kind of go to them? I think it's really unlikely, just because the prospects that maybe the ducks would send they've already had a bunch of ahl experience and so it doesn't really make sense for them to go play in this lower league with potential health risks just to get reps it, i think that there's really no player on the ducks rock maybe some of the maybe some of the ahl guys maybe you know Antoine like the, Morand. yeah moran Kopaka, you know th- these kind of just lower tier prospects but you know, for the Max Contois, the the Max Jones, Sam Steels, I just don't see it. it. It just doesn't really make sense to do that um, because they've already, I mean, like Sam Steele's already played a bunch of games in the NHL. Max Jones has played a bunch in the AHL. So I don't really know what what the benefit would be to send them across the country uh, away from kind of the the ecosystem of your training facility and your coaches just to get some game reps in yeah especially especially because the season isn't that far away i mean if it starts 
Yeah, so it doesn't make sense. And it's only a 13-team league right now. Yeah, I, I just... I, I, I think more likely what's going to happen because this the ECHL, just so everyone knows, it's not filled with guys on, on contract with the NHL team. There are guys that are simply on ECHL contracts in the yeah, ECHL. That are so making, you know, 30 grand. I would <laughs> I would probably expect that majority of the players playing in the ECHL right now as part of this, because like I said, it's 13 teams, and I believe the ECHL is typically, isn't it around 30? Yeah, well, they're doing it for the ECHL guys. They're doing exactly. it so that those guys have jobs. And exactly. so, and so I, that, I just, that's the main reason. Yeah. As for them, my opinion, I mean, do what you got to do to make your money. Um, the, the players need to get paid, so it's probably going to be nice. But who knows with how things are going, how this will work long term, if they're going to get enough gate revenue from it with obviously these minor league teams, their only income really being gate revenue. So who knows how it's going to end up working out for them. I guess we'll wait and see. Um, similar thing with like the QMJHL happening. Um, so I, I will yeah. have to wait and see, but I would not be comfortable as a Ducks fan with the Ducks sending players to this. Cause I guarantee you the travel's probably not going to be fantastic. The, the, the amenities that are given to them are probably not going to be amazing. So it's mainly going to be there for ECHL players. Well, that's, a, that's just my whole point is just, I don't know what player would really benefit from going to that right now. Yep. Um, if you look at the Ducks roster, and the non-roster players specifically, a lot of those guys are pretty much set in stone, either AHLers or NHL hopefuls. So, like Sam Carrick, for example, is a really good AHLer. It, you know, why would why would he get an assignment to the ECHL? Right? It just doesn't make sense. Yep. And okay, so moving on. Next question that we got is from Kin Knight, who emailed me, and also anyone out there, my email is in my Twitter handle. If you want to email stuff more than happy to, to take that respond anything like that or if you want to do it to the crash the pond jake at crash the you can do that also either of those work but he sent us an email saying hope you and your family are, are all safe and well this was sent on friday so on a friday um as a pretty hardcore ducks fan and someone who enjoys playing armchair gm here's a few questions i would love you love to get you and felix's take on in one of the next podcasts so his first question was the ducks will have a lot of cap room in a flat cap era in the 21 22 season what high-end players might they chase in a big trade next summer? Marner and Eichel's name have started to be thrown around. Any other quality first-liners in the league with a cash-strapped cash team that might be forced into a big-name trade? So I actually hadn't fully thought that far ahead yet, honestly, into next summer. I know that the Ducks have a bunch of cap space, but I think that's a very interesting point that not necessarily going after a free agent like a Taylor Hall, for instance, that will be in his late twenties, early thirties in that range. And you're going to overpay them for however many years. And they're not going to perform at the end of their contract. Like they should instead making a trade for a guy like Marner, who may be available. Same thing with Nylander. And next summer is the time that the ducks could really pull off that trade. So what are your thoughts first off on potentially a Marner? I don't think Eichel's getting moved. I don't think there's any way that's happening. Um, my personal opinion, but Marner or someone of that ilk and the ducks trying to pursue that. I just think it's really hard to answer that question right now because we, a lot of what the Ducks, in my mind, a lot of what they're going to do next summer depends on how next season goes. If the Ducks can show next season that they are close to being a playoff contender or that they even make the playoffs, you know, if, if they're anywhere in that realm, then I could see them, you know, potentially swinging big or going out and spending money on the free agent market. But if next season is kind of more of the same, just another rebuilding year, inching along, 
very slow incremental process. I just don't know if they're going to even attempt something like that. So for me personally, I think, yes, if you can make, uh, if, if it were up to me, I would be with the additional cap space would be trying to flip for a guy like a Marner or an Eichel, right? Just some big name on a cash draft team. Sure. But I think even if, even if it were me and if, and the way the ducks mm-hmm. look at it currently, I really just think you kind of have to wait and see how next season goes because there is a lot. Next season is almost completely an unknown in my mind. We just don't know what this team's going to look like. And so that is going to, and you don't want to be reactionary, but I think with this ducks team, you kind of have to be because they haven't really built a sample to give you any faith that they should be going out and making those kind of moves. Um, if anything, I mean, if anything, they could go deeper into a teardown after next season if things really go poorly. So we will have to see. I'm sorry I can't give you kind of a, a sexier answer, but that is truly what I believe right now. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Crap. I just timed out Bonnie as a joke, and now it timed her out for 600 seconds. So sorry, Bonnie. I'll try to find a way to fix that for you. So uh, is that 10 minutes? Yeah. So, Bonnie, Oof. you're timed out for 10 minutes. I'll see if I can fix that in a minute. <laughs> but here, let me get you into the next question. What do you think that Ryan Getzloff will re-sign for next season? So that's a tough one because I'm not really a cap guru, but I would say that your guess of two years, so this is Ken's guess of two years for eight or nine million, four to four and a half AV. That could make sense, but if we look at, I mean, it always comes back to Joe Thornton, right? When we talk about Ryan Getzlaff and Joe Thornton has gotten pretty rich uh, AAVs just on shorter term. And I think if I were Getzlaff's agent, I would probably point to that and say, these are comparable players age-wise uh, production role. And so we should be getting that kind of money. So I could see him coming back for maybe a year, 6 million, uh, maybe upwards of that. I don't think it would make sense for him to do two years uh, at four to four and a half because it's such a big pay cut. And I think he can get more than that, even if it's two years. He could do two uh, for six a year, for example. So I I don't think it'll go that low. I think your guess is kind of in the right ballpark, just kind of where your head's at. But I would say he'll get a higher AAV and he might go year year over year instead of extending it out to to two years, Uh, which makes sense because for Getzlaff, you know, he's had really tough injuries the, the last, not last season, but the, the seasons before. And so this season, is, I think, is kind of a, a fresh start for him. And let's see how he performs before, you know, even for himself. So let's see for himself how he does to, to kind of know what kind of contract he's fetching. Maybe if he's still injury riddled, maybe if uh, those issues come back, maybe if he has a down year, maybe you do shoot for a little longer term just to have that security. But uh We'll see with Getzlaff. It, it, it'll be interesting. Maybe so, he doesn't come back to the Ducks. I think it's going to be less. I could see it being two years. I could see the total amount being four or five million. No. You don't what? think so? I mean, look at what Joe Thornton has made at, 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 at this stage in his career. I'm also basing this off on based off of what we saw like Tay Musilani make in later years of his career. Yeah, but this taking- is... Yeah, it's a little I, different. It's a little different. So yeah, it's, who knows? It's, that, I mean, maybe Getzlaff does. From. Maybe the Ducks try to get Getzlaff to take this big pay cut. Because if we look, so the comparable I'll use is Joe Thornton, the first year out of his, uh, you know, his last real multi-year deal. So this is a 35 plus contract, which Getzlaff would be. He got, he signed to one year, 8 million. Now, of course, it's not a, it's not a perfect apples to apples, but 
I would point to that and say he could potentially make up to that. After that, there is a drop off. His following contract was one year for five million, and now he's on a he's on a, a one year deal one year deal for two million. So I just don't see him getting that low in terms of AAV. There's there's just a precedent that's really obvious that he could go to. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I, I think. I mean, you brought up the good point. Who knows if he even resigns? And, and I think that's a, a fair point. Maybe I he retires. He Maybe. Maybe he retires. But Maybe. it's un- so. I think he comes back. If he de- like the, the thing is, uh, what you and Ken are both saying is fine. Like I could see that happening, but I would. I think he could just get more, especially if he has a good season next year, or even like an okay season. Yeah. So we got so a couple more from him. Who is the breakout offensive player for the Ducks in the twenty one season? Zgras. Steel, Terry, or someone else? Hmm. Why don't you go first here? I think it's going to be Trevor Zegras. I think he may be up and down this upcoming season. He may not have the full breakout. I think we'll see in the 21-22 season his full potential start to come through, and I think we'll see him start to take that mantle. So I'm going to say Trevor Zegras will have a breakout because I think he just has the highest potential. So I think you're you're banking on the guy with the highest potential have the biggest breakout. Interesting. I mean, thank you for gifting me this this pick. I, I really do appreciate it. But uh, I would be very confident saying Troy Terry will have his quote-unquote breakout offensive season. With Troy oh, Terry... Troy, Troy Terry's breaking out this year. Well, he said for... The 21 season. Oh, okay. Well... I guess season. I guess there is some confusion because which season's twenty one? Because yeah. this upcoming season may technically be the it will. Start I would in assume he's asking about next season, okay. right? If it's if it's next season, so the twenty one, the actual twenty one season, uh-huh. I would agree. Troy Terry. If it's the twenty one twenty two season, yeah, then it's the twenty one season would could only be twenty 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 one. Because and actually, next season will only be twenty one. Yeah, that's my point. That's what I was saying is that I in my head I keep thinking of this 2020 2021. If you were referring to 2 years from now, you would have to include 2022 in the description. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, ouch. Big big mistake. Big L for you. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> go go on. Go on. Keep, uh, go ahead and spread the good word of Troy Terry. I mean, I just look at Troy Terry and I just think there's such a strong case you can make because he has so many good numbers, good numbers, right? That's just a very blanket statement, but he has good underlying numbers, right? He drives play. He's a good defensive player. He, but if you, I think when you peel back and you look at the micro stats, he, and look, micro stats aren't necessarily predictive. They're not, we don't really know how well they kind of translate year over year. But that being said, Troy Terry does have a, a strong impact at the macro level, or at least a, a good impact, especially as a younger player. He does get shots on net. Uh, but when you look at how he does it, right? He's a good puck carrier, uh, exiting his own zone, entering the opposition zone. He's really good at setting up his teammates, both at five on five and on the power play. And he does look for his shot, I think more now than he did before. So you kind of combine both what we see when we watch Troy Terry and the different sets of numbers. And I just think that it see him hitting close to 50 points. I, I really, I just have I have this confidence in him that he can do it, get to 40-50. And I don't want to toot my own horn, but toot toot. I, when I'm usually this confident in a player, it usually happens. So Daniel Sprong? Like Daniel Sprong did everything that he 
Daniel Sprong did everything he could. I'm just giving you a hard time. And Dallas Aikens doesn't know how to evaluate offensive talent, so yeah, that's not my fault. <laughs> but I mean, the one that really like the last kind of quote unquote analytics darling that I picked up on and got really bullish on was Andre Kasha when they first called him up, and he just he just did everything so well. And I mean, that's what he's turned into. He's turned into a decent kind of mid tier offensive producer. And his underlying metrics are still really, really but, strong. I mean, and so I, I you, get that. I think to me, t- Troy Terry is kind of a less physical, uh, but more more cerebral version of of Andre Kasha. Yes, and I think he's a little bit. Kasha was very good at generating shots. He was very good along the boards. I think Terry's a little bit better in terms of rushing the puck up the ice and being creative with the puck on his stick. And that's not saying Kasha it wasn't creative with the puck on a stick, but I think Terry is, has a little well, bit more. Well, if you of look that. at if you look at uh, Andre Kasha's shot profile, if you look at the micro stats from the years where he was on the Ducks, the micro stats actually kind of bore out what I think a lot of people critiqued him of, of is that even though he has these strong, uh, you know, shot metrics, strong macro level data, his shots weren't necessarily from high danger areas, or they were kind of one and done shots, right? Not necessarily yeah. threatening. And I think with Troy Terry, he is better at getting into the middle of the ice and either getting his own shot off or dishing off to a teammate, creating that space for them. So I just think his hockey sense is higher in the offensive zone than Andre Kasha, but he still does possess some of those physical tools that can get him those opportunities. Yeah. So, and then the final question that came from Ken is with the logjam of middling prospects on the blue line, do you think someone gets moves moved this season? Because there's there is a logjam. You got Mahura, you got Gooley, you got Juice, you've got Larson, you've got Cran, and he added. It's hard to call a thirty year old a prospect, but he is in some ways. Um, and his prediction is that two or three of these guys get moved during the season. Do you think that any of those guys get moved? Two or three is a lot, um, but I I don't disagree with the notion that yeah, some of these guys are going to get shipped off because. There's too much of a logjam, and some of them are capable of playing NHL minutes, especially with when you consider the fact that the the Ducks drafted so many defensemen in the 2020 draft. So they have guys coming up as well from the 2019 draft. So I wouldn't be shocked if, yeah, they did offload some of these guys. I mean, you could argue that Brendan Gooley should be in Jacob Larson's spot. He should be kind of more of the go-to third-pairing guy despite his his struggles. But I, I could see him getting moved. I could see Jacob Larson getting moved. Uh, I Yeah, all those names are plausible for sure. Yeah, I I think this will make Bonnie very happy in our Twitch chat. I think Larson potentially gets moved for nothing, basically, which will be awful I just prospect, think, uh, awful asset as, management. But that's that's so typical Bob Murray is to move a guy as, with no value. As long as Dallas Aikens is there, Jacob Larson is guaranteed third pairing minutes. It's just he's not going anywhere. Uh, so, um, I, I think one of those guys potentially might be moved. I, I can't see Mahura getting moved. Um, that wouldn't could, make any sense. I, I, could, I could see Gooley. Gooley's probably the guy. Yeah. I, I think Gooley, maybe he gets thrown in. Cause I think he still might have some shine to him as a prospect where someone yeah. may want him in a way and he'll they have haven't value completely for them. tanked his value. <laughs> I could see Larson going on waivers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that that's a likely scenario here, and he's not moved, but he's picked. I think if Larson goes on waivers, I think someone claims him. Do you think so? I think so. He's he's still a guy that's a first-rounder still keeps that shine for a little bit. 
Yeah, and look, he's he's still 23. Like, there's still time for him to become a decent NHL, def- you know, just just an average NHL defenseman. Um, I'm not completely out on the rest of his career, but it's pretty obvious that his ceiling is nowhere near what we thought it would be when he got drafted or even uh, the seasons after that. So, yeah. And then, okay, so one more question that we got from Ginger Wolf. It came in a little bit ago, and Ginger Wolf's in our Twitch chat, so wanted to get to it. What are the odds the Ducks regret trading Sprong and Kasha, considering this is supposedly a win-now season? I don't think they regret it at all, seeing as it's so recent. I I think that that was a Bob Murray decision, and he thinks he made the team better for the now by making those trades. So, well, I just wanted to point out that in the end of Ken's email, quote-unquote win-now, he had some nice, nice words. He said, hope you're enjoying your off season. Oh. My son plays in the ADH SHL and finally has trials this weekend. Fingers crossed. They have a season this year. Be healthy and enjoy your weekend. So I guess by now the tryouts have already happened. So Ken, hoping that uh, your son yes. had successful tryouts. Hope he makes the team. Hope he lights it up. And uh, yeah, wishing you all the best there. Now, yep. yeah, re- regarding Daniel Sprong and Andre Kasha, I don't think that they'll, I mean, I think that they should regret it because those players do make them better in the now and in the future because they're both, you know, on the younger side, but the ducks clearly didn't value Andre Kasha enough to keep him around. And they didn't value Daniel Sprong to even really give him a chance in the NHL. So I, I don't think that they will regret it. And you could make a case that they shouldn't regret trading Andre Kasha because David Backus, you know, with, with the additional rest could come back and be, a decent depth center, and then Jacob Perot, who they drafted with that pick, could end up being much better than Andre Kasha in the NHL. So, not necessarily a bad trade there, but yeah, for the for the now, does make them weaker. So yes, I, I think I, I, th- I think it's a fine. You know, like the, the more I've thought about that trade, you know, it, it's it's kind of been a winding road, but I'm not necessarily as down on it now as I was maybe even a couple months ago. As far as with Daniel Sprong, I mean. I don't know how they could even regret it because they never even played him. So don't see that happening. Yeah, I, I think if you were to ask Bob Murray, I don't think he would regret either of them because he'd look at it as he got Christian Juice, who's going to be playing. He traded Kasha, he got Perot, and he got David Backus. And he may actually view David Backus as more of a plus for this roster than Andre Kasha is because he may view David Backus as a guy that brings veteran experience, something that he probably thinks the team is lacking, yeah. even seeing as he... Uh, there were many that there was that that interview where he thought the the kids were running the room on Dallas Akins, yeah. if well, you recall, and so well, he may think that that gives them the leadership in their win. We as we've mentioned, this is not David, that young of a team. The thing with David Backus though is he does at least bring something to the roster. He's got he's a really good defensive center. He doesn't really do much else, but he does make this team. You know, he, he does bring something to this team. I don't think he's just like a warm body. He's not he's not Derek Grant. Yeah, he's better he's better than Grant. <laughs> he is better than Derek Grant. And that might yeah. be a bit harsh on Derek Grant, but you get you get what I'm trying to say. Is it harsh? I just the thing with Derek Grant is he he legitimately doesn't do anything outside of the penalty kill. He's a good penalty killer. That's outside only... outside of the penalty kill and the couple of uh breakaways that he gets. Yeah. I mean, he's a really good penalty killer, but but again, the, uh, even strength, where the majority of the game is played, he just doesn't. He just doesn't really do anything. Yep. All right. So, 
I think that's all of the questions. So now that we've gotten through that, you want to jump into the topic that you had for us today? <laughs> You've been putting this one off. I have been. I'm glad you admit it, though. I that, mean, that, that gives me some peace, some inner is peace. There, did I ever say I wasn't? Well, you never explicitly said that, but you're... <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get on with the show here. So... We figured it might be kind of fun, uh, depending on who you ask, you know, since this duck season was not what you would have hoped it to be, to just look back on the individual players on the roster and, and give them give them letter grades, just evaluate them and uh, and see kind of how we how we will look back. And it's just gonna be the guys currently on the team or still on the team, so we're not gonna we're not gonna go back and look at players that that were traded away. That wouldn't really make a ton of sense. Although it'd be kind of fun to to look at have an excuse to look at Daniel Sprong's stats, but we can't do that. Let's uh let's start with Ryan Getzlaff. Should we start there? We're just gonna go down the list on the cap friendly page, and sure. we'll, we'll we'll try to make this you know somewhat expeditious. Ryan Getzlaff. So last year played in a bunch of games. I mean he I think he he only missed one game. Played sixty nine games. Nice. And he had 42 points, 13 goals, and 29 assists. Uh, was not good defensively. I just, there's no other way to put it. But kind of reclaimed a little bit of that offensive touch. And uh, was not great on the power play, but was good at dishing the puck. His his assist numbers were, were good. So how would you grade Ryan Getzloff's season in 2019-20? I mean, honestly, I probably would give it b minus c plus i i think mm. somewhere in that range why I mean, so now up, now up on the screen you can uh, now see his repm for last year and a big reason is just defensively not good i mean he drove play towards the other team's net um he he obviously had a pretty big fall off in terms of his uh production for last year but I think the production fall off from him is a pretty big reason. The defensive issues that came up, I, I think it was just a subpar year. And now granted part of this is due to expectation. When you, when you hear Ryan gets you think about the elite playmaker that he is. And I mean, this is a, a fall off that is expected. It's an age related, uh, decline. And that's expected as a guy starts to enter his mid to late thirties. And so maybe in that context, maybe you can elevate this to B season. Um, but I just think for what you expect from Ryan Getzloff, it was a subpar season. It was subpar from that. So I would, I would more lean towards B, yeah, you know, B minus B, because what you have to remember is that Ryan Getzloff was an elite level center up until the eighteen nineteen season, and then he had this catastrophic season like the rest of the team, where he had these back spasms that he had to go see a specialist for. He had just these nagging injuries, and apparently the back spasms started the year prior, and he had to get on this you know core strengthening program uh, in the off season. So he's coming back from a pretty tough situation, especially at that age. And I do think that within that context, where the expectations probably should have been much lower, um, I think he did well. I mean, he's he's clearly not at least right now. He is not the elite um, no. center that we've seen in the past, but I think he's still, he's still the things that you really know him for, you know, the offense and the passing, he still does those things. Not, not to the same degree, but he still does them at a good rate. And so I, I'd probably land on B minus because he's just so, 
I mean, his his defensive game has taken such a, a backseat in the last couple of years, so you, you can't let him off the hook there. But I still do think that he's he's a contributing member of the roster. It's just, um, you know, this is what happens. I mean, like you said, with, with age, right? I mean, you're, you're in your mid-30s, right? You just don't know what you're going to get season season to season. Yeah, and I'm trying to look right now. I wanted to look up what his war, his uh, goals above replacement would have been last year. I'm slightly struggling to find him, actually, though, on this list. Um, let's see. So he was negative 2.1 goals above mm-hmm. replacement. And so okay. that's kind of where a lot of this is coming from, and it's mainly dr- uh, driven by his defense. His, he was negative 3.5 even strength defense. Um, so he was slightly below replacement level simply due to his own zone play last year. And so... To me, that's that's where I'm kind of coming at this from is looking at some of these numbers yeah. and you factor I mean, that looking, in with his production. I'm, I'm looking production. at them too. Yep. No, <laughs> fair, fair. So <laughs> like, I, I no, I, I think yeah. anywhere from C minus to B is fair. Forget C minus would or be sorry, too not C. Low. I meant C plus. Meant C plus. See, yeah, I think sorry. C C plus to B. Any of those are are fine. I would just skew a little higher, but I I could understand if you want to d- ding him a bit more for the defensive play. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, let's move down the list. Adam Henrique. So I'll I'll go first on this one. I'd be pretty confident giving Adam Henrique an A minus. I know, would s- straight A might be might be acceptable too. But it, well, let's just kind of dive into his profile. He was above average in pretty much every respect. You know, play driving, uh, individual offense. He just did everything pretty much to, to a good degree, or to, sorry, to a good level, and he was arguably the Ducks best forward so I don't know how you could really grade him any lower than than that range yeah I mean if you look at wins or goals above replacement he was at 5.7 second on the team last year for that in terms of uh goals above replacement he led the team in points at 43 points led the team in goals at 26 goals um it's hard to give him anything I mean maybe you could even push it to an a minus I mean maybe or it's push it to an a maybe you give it a b plus because the fact that Yes, he was the the leading point getter on the team, but it was still only forty three points. Like it's not a huge huge amount. Yeah. But I think I think yeah. for what you expect from Adam Henrique, this was a a minus to a season. This is kind of the best case scenario for what you would expect from Adam Henrique. And he is thirty, so in theory, this should be one of his peak years production wise, uh, or kind of at the the tail end of that. And so maybe you ding him a little bit because he wasn't he wasn't necessarily blowing the doors off, but this is, this is kind of who he is. He, he gets goals. He's really not much of a setup man. And I don't know. He, this is just kind of the player that, that we've become accustomed to at this point. Yep. So you're, are you, so you're sorry. What, what grade did you give him? I I'd say an A minus. I think you're yeah. right on there. Yeah. I mean, you could even say B plus, but let's, let's give him an A minus. Let's be positive, positive yeah. word change because some people accuse us of not being so positive. Do looking they? At you, looking at you, Bonnie. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely Bonnie. Jakob Silverberg. So looking at Silverberg, you know, I'll just point out the, the box the box score stats just for everybody at home. 66 games played, so he didn't miss a few games, and he scored 21 goals despite that. And so playing uh, seven less games than the year before, he had only three less goals. Good for 39 points. And if you look at the numbers, I mean, he was – one of the Ducks' better defensive forwards, and he, he was really good just from a kind of individual perspective, offensively, defensively. Much like everyone else on the Ducks, wasn't really good on special teams, 
but was a good offensive producer and uh, well, kind of did did what you expect from Jakob Soderberg, I would say. It, so it's funny you mentioned that about special team because as we go through these players, I'm throwing up the RAPM charts for a little bit on the screen for each of them. And he's actually a player if you look at expected goals for and and Corsi for per sixty. So chances and, and shots, he was mm-hmm. one of the best on the Ducks in terms of that. It's just it didn't lead itself to actual production on the power play yeah and that's why he um, gets that's why he gets dinged in the the goals above replacement correct for power correct, play yeah correct so it's a, it's a descriptive stat correct and so i think he's an a i think he's a very solid a he was yeah. the best duck in terms of goals above replacement he was one of the best ducks in terms of point production he was solid in his own zone solid in the offensive zone you knew what you were getting from him on the ice i i think I think this is the best case scenario for what you would get from Jacob Silverberg in a season. So to me, it's an A. Can we can we grade David Backus? No, I, I feel like he's a he's a no grade because yeah, you you can't grade him. Okay, this might be a we might differ on this. I don't know. I'm actually not sure. Ricard Raquel. So Ricard Raquel last season, 65 games played, put up 42 points. You know, only one point less than the year prior. And playing in four less games, 15 goals, 27 assists. And, you know, looking at his stats, a strong offensive player, uh, a strong play driver into the offensive zone, but defensively just took a, I don't even know if it's a step back, just was was not good at all, uh, but mm-hmm. had good individual metrics. So where do you land on Ricard Raquel in his age 26-27 season? For Ricard Raquel, I probably land in the B to B plus range, mainly because the production wasn't there. And now, granted, I'm someone who will look at Ricard Raquel and tell you that production isn't there, not necessarily at a fault of his own. He's putting up really good stats. He's putting up really good numbers in terms of shot metrics and things like that. He led the Ducks in individual expected goals last season, and it was just simply kind of a, a little bit of poor luck that led him to be under 15 or at 15 goals as compared to 20 plus goals. Um, I, I think where you can give a knock on him is defensively. And I think that's where I would come down into the B range. I think if we were only looking at offense on him and so up on the screen, once again, is his RAPM and you'll see defensively, um, kind of bled some shot shot attempts against. And this makes sense that him and Getzloff are fairly similar in that range as soon as they were on the ice together a fair amount. Um, but if we were purely going offense, I'm actually one that would grade Ricardo Raquel as an A. I think yeah. that last year wasn't wasn't as bad of a season as everyone makes it out to be. It's like I said, he scored 15 goals when he probably should have scored 20 plus. If we had, yeah, if, the, if that exact season plays out again, he could have been a 30 goal season. I just think that score. the issue with Ricardo Raquel is that he's not really a true first liner. No, and so. It, well, it's it's all about expectations. I think everyone yeah. got the, this thought in their head when he scored 30 goals that that was going to be him every year, when in reality, he probably outproduced a fair amount that year. And if you look at some numbers, and I actually think I did an article on this on the website, basically right when we launched Crash the Pond, that looked at Ricard Raquel's numbers, and this past year may have been his best season as a duck if you look at his individual production. Mm-hmm. And it's just simply the the pucks didn't go in, and it's a mixture of that and a mixture of the fact that Ryan Getzloff had fallen off. But from an individual perspective, last season may have been his best season he's had offensively. Mm-hmm. Defensively, obviously not so great, and that's why I'd probably bring this down to B or B plus. Yeah, well, you're talking from like a, a play driving kind of underlying yes. perspective. Yes, exactly. So yeah, if you look at Ricard Raquel's uh, WAR timeline, so just in terms of his percentile rank. So last season, in terms of overall wins above replacement, he was 78th percentile, and that was after a down year 
where he went in 1718 from 86th percentile down to 64th. So he had a pretty big bounce back last season. It wasn't his best season to date from that perspective, but I just think something happened to the Anaheim Ducks in 1819, and I can't imagine what it would be, but everyone had a really bad year in 1819. Who's the coach? Who's the coach? I, I, I can't. I just, you know. I can't imagine that, you know, guys may have thought, ah, you know, is it really worth going 100% this year uh, with this just kind of, let's just call him less than optimal, less than lame ideal duck, coach. Lame duck coach? Yes. Uh, so, because Ryan gets off the same thing, big drop. Now, he had other reasons, and it was a more severe drop. But with Ricard Raquel, in an age 25 season, which was what his 18-19 year was, you don't really expect him to dip, right? You expect him to hold at the very least. And, um, and so I think that if we, if we want to talk about breakout candidates for next year, it wouldn't really count since Ricard Raquel is kind of an established member of this team, but I could see him having another, another year oh, yeah. where he gets back up to where he was, uh, you know, three years ago. You know, what's going to be frustrating. Mm-hmm. Tell me, you know, so throughout interviews, Bob Maria said, Ricard Raquel has really looked at his game really, really looked into what he did wrong this past year, mm-hmm. really has worked on his shot and worked on a lot of different things this offseason and put uh-huh. in the hard work. Yeah. And it is yes. somewhat frustrating to me that the the narrative that will surround Ricard Raquel is he put in the work in the offseason and all this different stuff and, and did the things they didn't do previously and completely negate the fact that he was good last year and it's just if yeah. he would have continued playing like that, he would have been fine. It's well, just that narrative is going to bug the we, living hell out of me. If we, if he was studying his defensive game, then yes, there's a lot to fix there. Um, so if he's better next year in both in all three zones, then yeah, I think you could say that True. it's about this offseason. But yeah, I agree with you that from an offensive perspective, I don't know how much he can really do more of. Yeah, in, in and, that and so you know that if he ends up scoring 25 to 30 goals the narrative okay. is going to be he he worked harder in the offseason. He, he watched in the, tape. Yeah, and it's like, no, this is exactly how he played last year, and it's just the pucks are going in, and I, the, narr- I the, narr- the narrative swaps on shooting percentage. The it, it's, funny, with, it's funny how that works. The weird thing with Ricard Raquel is that when you look at some of the tracking data from Corey Schneider, he's not really a high-event player. He's just kind of a guy who weaves in and out, yep. and when he gets his opportunities, he's just so lethal. Yeah. And um, maybe part of, I mean, you hear guys like, you know, skill coaches like Daryl Belfry and Jack Hand talking about this, but maybe he needs to become more involved, get more puck touches, you know, get True. get get the puck on his stick earlier in the game so that he doesn't have to rely on that kind of one or two devastating opportunities, right? I think that maybe that's something he'll look at. Patrick Kane has talked about, you know, taking that approach. So we'll see. Um, okay. Derek Grant. So I'm I'm skipping Danton Heinen and Sonny Milano. I know that people might want to hear us talk about them, but they barely played. Yeah, right. Not I don't enough think, sample size. I mean, I think that they were okay in the games that they did play. Just to give you kind of a quick, quick synopsis, I think they were okay. But you you'd we probably give Milano an A. You probably give Heinen like a C. Yeah, and and I don't but that, even but, know. But it's such a small sample size. There's it, it's Tiny. so hard to judge them. Tiny sample. Let's talk about Derek Grant because you know we haven't talked about him enough. 14 goals in 49 games uh, for 20 points. Got him traded to Philly at the at the deadline for, what was it, a fourth rounder? Fifth rounder? One of the two. Was it? Yeah, something like that. One, it, wasn't, it wasn't a third, I don't think. No. Um, so Derek Grant, let's just, I mean, we've already made the case so many times, but he had a really good year from a shooting perspective. He was a good penalty killer. 
He got breakaway. He actually does seem to get breakaways in the penalty kill often. Yeah. Like that's yeah. a thing that he does that he just finds a way to do. So we'll give him that. But at five on five, I mean, the, the Ducks just get so brutally outplayed when he's out there. And look, it could not, it might not necessarily all be on him. I would imagine playing with Nick Delorier doesn't help a ton because Nick, Nick, Delorier, Delorier, Nick Delorier got better away from Derek Grant. <laughs> yeah. But the, the point is, Overall, there's just no way to really spin his results on ice and say that, you know, it's someone else's fault. They were just bad, and they yeah. have been bad for, for pretty much his entire career. So how would you grade that? <laughs> so now up on the screen is the RAPM for Derek Grant last year, and now, granted, this this excludes penalty kill. Granted. and But you, you can see, especially granted? defense. Yes, sure. <laughs> Didn't even mean that, actually. But the uh, defensively just... An absolute, a- absolute disaster, absolute disaster. So but you knew that watching him play too. Like this yeah, isn't just a part st- of a part of thing. me wants. I think I'll give him a C minus. I want to go harder and give D or D plus. But I think that you got to get into. I think C minus mainly because of the penalty kill and the goal scored. When we're doing an evaluation, we need to actually look at the production and what he did. Yes. And so if, if that production wasn't there if his effectiveness on the penalty kill wasn't there, it would be an F without mm-hmm. a doubt an F. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that raises it up into the C minus probably C range is that goal scoring. But here, here's the biggest thing folks on Derek Grant is last year, Derek Grant shot. Let's see 17%. Mm-hmm. The likelihood of Derek Grant shooting 17% again is very unlikely. And so Derek Grant probably is going to be in the five to six goal range next season would be my bet. And Derek Grant in the five to six goal range with those numbers, that's about a D to D minus. So, um, I don't know if he keeps getting breakaways every game, (laughs) maybe he gets 10 again. Yeah. I, I, I would, I think C minus is just right. Let's give the guy a little credit for what he did, but man, just there was so many holes in his game okay yeah. this was this is gonna be an interesting one troy terry so we talk a lot about what troy terry will be what he what he could eventually end up becoming but if we were just to grade what he did last season how how would you grade troy terry because he played in 47 games had four goals 15 points uh spent 14 games in the ahl where he had 16 points so might yeah. be too good for that league i don't know uh, how would you grade his season? I mean, I think the Ducks, I mean, I've said this before. The Ducks were better with Troy Terry than without him. He had a, a granted marginally, but still better with him than without him. 0.6 GAR and the production wasn't there. I'd probably give him about a C. Um, okay. I, okay. I, I, I think a C, maybe C minus is probably about right. You okay. were hoping for more production from him. But I think if you were at the end of the day, we look at C as being average. So I think in the grand scheme of things, Troy Terry being above replacement level, the Ducks being better with him than without him, but him not putting up the production that you would hope, that's probably about an average season for about a 21, 22-year-old. So Jake, I, I have some bad news for you. I think I'm you taking, have him as a D? I think I'm taking over your brand. Are you going higher than me? I'm going B. Wow. I'm going B. And, and I, and I, I feel hey, great about it. All I'm, I thought you were going to chastise me for going too high. No, I, I'm taking I'm taking over your brand. 
I'm, wow. I'm, I'm I'm invading your brand. I was trying to be brutally honest for everyone out there to show that I am not biased. So maybe that's where I went harder on it than uh, I should have. Mm-hmm. So sure, let's go with B. I'm going up to B. You know what? You brought me up wow. to B. Wow. Wow. Okay. Hey, there, I'm glad. There's my integrity, folks. I'm, I, I, <laughs> okay. But he was a good defensive forward last year. Just Agreed. Just straight up good. No other, like, no caveats, no nothing, no asterisk. Just good. Now, offensively, he didn't really drive play. He didn't do a whole lot individually, but he was one of the few Ducks players, and I just mean players. It doesn't have to be D or offense, who was actually decent on the power play because we talked about Raquel and Getzlaff being so bad. He was Terry had some decent numbers on the power play, and we talk about his his shot creation, his passing, and it's it's no surprise that he would grade out well in that department. Now, He's got a long way to go production-wise, but I think if you if you kind of adjust his production, even for his ice time, he grades out okay in terms of uh, you know primary assists per 60. So I'm giving him a B, and I feel awesome about it. You know what? I'm going up to B to, to match you because you know what? You talked me into it. It doesn't take <laughs> a lot to convince me to go higher on Terry. I was trying to be brutally honest, but you know what? You're right. He I mean, is great. If we look at the fact, like if we stick to the facts, if we stick to no, yeah, the, no. the objective measures of his game, there's I not agree. a lot. There's not a lot to kind of downgrade him. Um, anyway, so let's talk about Carter Rowney. <laughs> I mean, all due respect to Carter Rowney, but you know the the excitement level is not quite the same as discussing Terry prospect versus veteran. Carter Rowney was not as bad as Derek Grant, if you, if you adjust his numbers and try to isolate them individually, um, you know, shot suppression or expected goal suppression, if we want to be extremely specific, he was actually above replacement level and was a good penalty killer. Like Derek Grant wasn't as much of a sieve defensively as Derek Grant. So I would have him at a C. I think C is kind of about right. Yeah. I think, I think C is about right. He is what he is. He's a fourth liner. He's just a, 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 Find fourth liner who's not really going to give you any offense, but he's going to be okay in his own zone. So now, yep, no, you, know, you, you, I, you, you do want to see more of a play driving ability because you know, you're hoping that you're not just getting crushed in those minutes, but I'll give him a C. I think one, C's appropriate one, for him. one thing we should make clear of because Bonnie uh, mentioned because Bonnie notorious Troy Terry hater said, if you evaluate Terry this way, you must reevaluate everyone else. The thing is, our evaluation of each player on these grading scales is based upon what those players did and what their expectation, what the expectation of them was also going into the season. And so I I think that's a big thing to factor in here is that while if you're comparing to players, you obviously would say that I don't Ryan Getzloff had a significantly better season than Troy Terry. Mm -hmm. But when you're factoring in the expectation for that player, that's where Right. That that's where these grades come in, and that's why you, a player may have had a better season, but may not have a better grade, and that that's where this is factoring. I think Carter Rowney probably is a C. Yeah, I, I think I think you're maybe right there. C I think minus maybe, maybe. I, yeah. He he's better than Derek Grant. Doesn't have the production of him. Maybe you put them on the same level as a result of that. Okay. Next up, we're just going through the fourth line here. Nick Delorier. So Nick Delorier, who by the way. In 59 games, as a fourth liner, had seven goals, <laughs> which, you know, when you play single-digit minutes a night, seven goals is kind of nice. Now, three of those came in one game, but the point is... Forgot about that, honestly. He, he, well, 
I was rewatching some some clips for something I'm writing, you know, just just casually throwing that in there. But the game I was watching was actually a the Derek the, the Nick Deloria game. So there you wow. go. Um, Nick Deloria, though, I just want to point out, set a career high last season in penalty minutes. Do you know how many that was? No. Uh, no, I don't. Hello. Oh, what happened? Yep. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. My computer is just—it's just someone just called me and it popped up on my on my computer. Tonight's an adventure. Tonight is an adventure. adventure. My God. Okay. Nick Delory had 92 penalty minutes last year, which was a career high for him. And he's actually played, and he didn't even play 82 games. He played 82 games for the Sabers in 14-15 and got 71 penalty minutes. So we should give him a little credit for that, right? No. I mean, why? <laughs> so here's the interesting thing with Nick Delore. Why? Here, I mean, here's, here's the interesting thing. He actually grades out the best in terms yeah. of expected goals against uh, when you isolate for his individual contributions. 77th percentile, which is higher than Rowney, obviously mm-hmm. higher than Grant, and individual defense, 60th percentile. Now, did nothing offensively. You just forget about him offensively. Individual production, didn't play on special teams, but he wasn't actually terrible in his own zone. Yeah. So he was he was not. So I would say if we gave if we gave Rowney and we gave Grant C minuses, let's give Deloria a C. No, I gave Rowney a C. Oh, I thought we agreed that we were going. Okay, fair enough. Well, I think Deloria C or C plus then. C plus? Now I would go C minus. I think, like it's it's well and good that he that he was okay in his own zone, but the guy is not adding a ton of value. No, right? he's not. Anywhere in that C range is fine. Okay. If this is those were that is the exact season that you would expect from Nick Deloria. Basically. I will, and, same, I will, and exactly I, what you would expect from Carter Carter Rowney. That is and, not and actually you, what. A, you you maligned that trade so hard. One thing I will say about Nick Deloria, he's a fun player to watch. I mean, was, he goes was, out of his way to crush people well after the puck has changed hands. <laughs> um, he drops the mitts, the hat trick game. How can you not love that? But uh, yeah, if we're just being very cold and calculating about it, you know, he's not uh, a very he's not an impactful player. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I'll, I'll buy I'll buy the C minus. I'll buy the C minus. I. Yeah, that. I mean, wait, are you defending that trade now? No, I'm not. I, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, it was a bad trade. I you, agree. You made it. So, you made it sound like I. I was no. Wrong I was just pointing out that, that you maligned bad. it. I'm not saying yeah. anything beyond that because it was a very bad trade. There's no reason why you should be trading a fourth round pick for Nick Delorier. How do we feel about Max Jones? Because he is next on our list. So he played. He, he played in 59 games. He had eight goals, 12 points. Played uh, eight games in the AHL. You look at his numbers. I mean, it's a very bleak picture, in my opinion. I mean, did nothing offensively uh, from an individual perspective. Wasn't good defensively. Didn't contribute on the power play. Was a good penalty killer. We'll give him that. Um, Didn't have a good shooting year. Was okay. And by okay, I mean slightly below average. Slightly below replacement in terms of driving play. Wasn't good in his own zone. Um, I I think I, this is going to be my first D range. I don't see any kind of. I don't see how you can put him in the C range personally. I guess the only logic behind being in the C range is the fact of what your expectation was for him, and I think that 
this season was in some ways average. I think his on ice metrics were not. I mean, I don't know how you even get to see what is the road to see for him that he was the road. The road he was a good penalty killer. The road to see for him is he had all right production, some all right numbers. And the thing is, you weren't expecting him to put up great things. And he's a first round pick. Yes, but he is still what twenty one. He was twenty one this past year. Was he? He? I think he was twenty one going into the season, though, right? So he turned. Let's see. Yeah, I think he turned twenty two. He's, t- he's turning twenty three in February. This coming yeah. February. So he turned twenty two in February. So he was twenty one to start the season. Yeah, but he was twenty one for like four months. Anyway, point point being. Well, he was he was twenty one. I get what for you're one, saying. He was twenty two. But, but he was twenty two for one month of the season. Well, yeah, but that's because it was cut short. But the point being, yeah. On the flip side of that, you would expect a player in this age range to start kind of. This should be the ascension period, where they're getting yeah. better. And I guess I mean he wasn't better. I mean, I maybe he was slightly better than the year before, but I just I don't know. I, no, that's I, fair. That's fair. I mean, I'm just, I, I don't. I'm just I don't hate your D. Did. I'm just grading what I, he did. I'm not. Thinking I don't too much about expectations. I, I don't hate the D pick, but I will say I'm trying to be positive on it and go with C minus, but. I think D is in the fair range. I just don't know if you don't really do anything particularly well at five on five and you don't contribute your own offense. I mean, he's basically a, he's a, just a different version of Derek Grant. I mean, you could back. He's, he's Derek Grant without the goal scoring. Yes. And like, that's not a place you want to be in. That's fair. No, that's fair. <laughs> Those are dark waters. <laughs> I, I guess, I guess the difference is, is that Derek Grant is in his prime years. Whereas yes. Whereas Max Jones is, is still developing, and so I think you you hold yeah. him to a slightly different standard in that range. And I guess that's where I would find myself in the C range for Max Jones as compared to um, D. But I mean, now up on the screen, you'll see his RAPM chart from the year. Anything offensively, just really bad. I understand, but yeah, it's it's so just, yeah. I, I I'd probably go C minus. Okay, I, I think you're completely fair though. Going Let's into go... the D range. What's I mean, I don't want to. I don't think I ever. Um, never mind. I was gonna make some bad reference, but uh, let, let's bring in a little controversy into the show. Sam Steele. This is gonna get ugly. This could be the ugliest one so far, because Sam Steele, thirtieth overall pick, first round pick, and you know, highly touted, had some really productive years in junior, but last season. How would you grade what he did for the Anaheim Ducks? I mean, if I'm going to be consistent, I would probably put him on par with Max Jones. So if I gave Max Jones a C minus, I'd probably hold Sam Steele to that same standard mm-hmm. and do a C minus. But I, I'm kind of tempted to put him down a little bit just because being a center, you expect a little bit more out of him. And so I, I guess my expectations were maybe a little bit higher for him, whether that's fair or not. So I may bring him down to a D or D plus. My thing with Mac, the, the thing, okay, so here is the, I'll give you the negative, I'll give you the optimistic reading and the pessimistic reading of his, of his profile is that, pe- let's start with the pessimism so we can end up on a good note. Pessimistically, he didn't really do anything that well. He, he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, even replacement level in any one metric that we look at. Individual offense, individual defense, uh, on ice, play driving. Uh, production he didn't do anything to that level but on the flip side this is the optimistic reading he also wasn't terrible in f5 on five he wasn't 
awful, right? He wasn't Derek Grant or Max Jones bad in some of those respects. Um, and so that does give you some optimism that he may be trending in the right direction, especially when you consider that he was he was solidly the team's third-line center, and that probably wasn't the role he should have been in. He probably should have been, ideally, the fourth-line center or a third-line wing. I think that the Ducks gave him... They, they put a lot of faith in him. They And this is the thing. When, when you know people like Jake will say that the Ducks don't haven't given the youngsters enough opportunities, I mean, I would counter and say, look at how they handled Sam Steele last season. I mean, they gave Sam Steele every opportunity. He's the only youngster who, didn't, who didn't go down to the AHL, and he Fair. was consistently in the lineup in a significant role. So it didn't work out. It was ugly. I mean, it, it wasn't great, right? But... How does so? There's I'm of two minds here. If I'm just looking at what he did last year, I'd probably give him a C minus, C minus D plus. You could probably talk me into either. If I'm looking at it from long term perspective, how do I? How does this season make me feel? This season makes me feel much worse than that, because if you're true, oh yeah, because if you truly are a high end talent, you should be showing already that you can be that. It's a, there should be some evidence of that somewhere. And he didn't show any of that. So I'll set that aside because the, the, this conversation is about just grading what they did. But I think on either front, I'm not super confident. Yeah, and, and I think for better or for worse, Sam Steele had higher expectations coming in as a pro- yes. after a couple years at post-draft. He had higher expectations than Max Jones did mm-hmm. because yes. of the, the seasons he had in the WHL. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, all right, moving on. Moving on. I'm surprised you didn't have much more to say on Sam Steele. But. I, you you basically covered it all. I think Sam Steele did not have a great year. I think that he's a guy that, like I said, if I want to apply this, the logic I did with Max Jones and the fact of he was 21 years old, I believe, coming to the season, um, there is a whole lot more for him to improve on. But I think that he had higher expectations in that same sense. So I think mm-hmm. his season was as poor, in my opinion, as Max Jones was. Mm-hmm. And so I think with having him high or with him having higher expectations, I think that lowers the grade a little bit. Okay. Let's move on to the blue line. Mm-hmm. And so we're this, this will be quicker because the ducks shuffled out a lot of bodies. Um, yep. Cam Fowler. How do you, how do you grade his season? A, 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 okay. A. Defend. Um, big reason. This was Cam Fowler's best season in a ducks Jersey. He was a guy that, no matter who he played with, he was he made that player better. And that's not something you can consistently say throughout Cam Fowler's season. And now up on the screen is his RAPM charts. And you can see defensively, he was just so good last season. And whether he was with Goodbranson, whether was he was with Delzato, whether I believe he was with Holzer at one point. Basically, any player that he got paired with, they became above 50% in expected goals for percentage. Mm-hmm. And so this was... and. and that's what you want out of a, a player that's making as much as Cam Fowler is. You need him to make players around him better. And that's been one of the the complaints that I buy with Fowler, even though I'm a big fan of his, is that he's so partner dependent that he he needs a good partner to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas last year was the exact opposite. No matter who you put him with, 
he made that person better, and that's exactly what you want. An apparition in our Twitch chat throws an A-plus if that's an option. I think I, I agree. I think it could be considered an A-plus season. Maybe the only thing that's lacking there is the power play production, but I think when you're looking at a defenseman, defenseman you're looking at own zone play and the ability to transition to offense, and I think for what was a pretty bad season for the Ducks, he was one shining light for this team in terms of the play he had in his own zone. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I may have cooled a little bit on Fowler the more I've kind of, you know, studied his stats and watching him play, but he had very good stretches. I mean, he had stretches where he was just excellent. And so you have to give him credit for that, especially with kind of how his season ended injured. Um, So I would probably, in the interest of consistency and rewarding, you know, focusing on what he actually did, I'd probably go A minus. I think that he wasn't that great. He wasn't that great in terms of play driving, but he was one of the few Ducks who just wasn't bad, and and that has to be worth something, right? And he had really good production. Um, I mean, you know, he had nine goals in 59 games for D-man, that's great, 20 assists, was one of the few Ducks who just wasn't just abjectly terrible on the power play, which, again, that's worth something. And the Ducks put him with a bunch of different bodies. They put him with – he turned Eric Goodbranson into an asset, a trade asset for for the Ducks. He also, granted, he played a fair amount with Michael Delzato. Yeah. At various points. They did in time. well together, I think. Michael Delzato was a positive goal, but he was better than replacement level last year. And to me, a big portion of that is Cam Fowler. Yeah. And so that, to me, it's not always just his impact on the game, it's his impact on his partners. Yeah. And if you look at the, the uh, hashtag micro stats with Cam Fowler, he actually had the highest uh, possession ex- zone exit percentage of any defenseman. So. In the in his overall attempts to get out of the zone, he was the most successful in getting out of the zone with possession of the puck, whether on his own stick or you know just his team maintaining possession. And it wasn't even particularly close. He was at 51%, and Hampus Lindholm was the next highest at 40%. So he was really carrying the mail uh, in terms of just breaking the puck out, which is what you'd expect for Cam Fowler, but it's nice to see that kind of well, put it put into numbers. That's been one thing with his game always, if you look at microstats, is he's always been an elite player at breaking the puck out of the zone with possession. He does not get caught when the puck's on his oh, stick yeah. and in if, his own zone and turns it over. Mm-hmm. And if you and if you want to look at it versus in, in the sense of exits versus turnovers, he was the very best on this team in terms of his ratio of successful uh exits to yes. uh, failed exits. So that, that's a calling card of his for a long time that I think not a lot of people give well, him enough credit it's for. It's something that personally I, I mean, and anyone really should value in a defenseman because that's that's kind of your yeah. role on the ice. I mean, it's it's to keep the puck out of your own net and also get the puck out of your zone. Get yeah. it to your forwards. Yeah. <laughs> let, yeah. them, let them go and, play. And that's something, even when Fowler's had some bad on-ice metrics, mm-hmm. that's been something he's always excelled at. It's, and nice, so that's where it's the, nice to see the overall metrics catch up to that, though. Yes, I think agreed, agreed. Okay, and this, this was the season for that. This is the, the next couple are going to be tough because I think we've we've kind of gone back and forth on these guys as the season has gone on in the off season. Hampus Lindholm. So Hampus Lindholm last year he had twenty three points in fifty six games, which is actually a pretty big step up pace wise from the season prior, where he had twenty eight points in in seventy six games. So almost the same amount of points in twenty less games. Um, so a good productive production wise a good season for him and if you look at his on ice metrics um i mean he was really good <laughs> he was he was good you know defensively he was fine offensively 
was good on the power play, good on the penalty kill. So where do you land on and, and also I should point out, played some really tough minutes. If you look at quality of competition, he was in the 90th percentile amongst defensemen in the NHL. So he was yeah, fed, he I, was he was fed to the Wolves by Dallas. I Aikens. think I think this is where I would say it's all about your expectations. So up on your screen right now is single season for, for Hampus and Tom, and I'm about to switch it. This is the RIPM charts at Evolving Hockey, and now I'm about to switch it to multi-season. And so last season was still really good, but it was a bit of a step back. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily saying Lindholm was bad, but he just didn't meet the uh, the huge expectations that I think that you have for him defensively. And so it was a slight step back for him. So because of that, I think I would probably go A minus B plus for him. I think he's still one of the best defensemen and potentially the best defenseman on the team. But I think when you look at him and try to give him a letter grade, I think it would be hard to argue that last year was a bit of a step back for him in terms of the the previous couple of seasons. And so that's where I think I would go with an A minus or B plus. I still think that he may be he probably is the best defenseman on this Ducks team. Maybe last year he was not did not have the best season. But I think he is still the best defenseman on the team. Okay, I mean that that that's fair. I, I think you're you might. It sounds like you're weighing a bit more the expectations than just what happened. Yep. Um, I would be comfortable giving him an A minus or B plus. I think e- either or. I'm not really set on either. But he did well. I mean, he was one of the yep. few players in this roster who did really well. So you you can't. Would you agree? You can't have him lower than B plus. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you can have him. And Bonnie actually in our Twitch chat has said, cannot put him at a B, though. Has to be a bit higher than that. Yeah, so that, that's I, I think... the thing is despite, I mean, and this is a credit to his, what he's done in the past is that he's been so good that, you know, our expectations of him are just so high that a season in which he was arguably maybe the Ducks' best skater, um, we're, we're looking at him maybe kind of from a, a, a point of disappointment. So I think, I think you know, I'll give him an A minus. I'll, I'll I'll go high on him. I'm gonna go A minus. You can yep. dis- you can disagree all you want. Um, okay. Let's uh let's talk about Josh Manson because this is a guy who on this podcast we have traded multiple times over in hypothetical trades, and that I think the fans I don't want to say turned on him last season, but definitely there was a shift, right where you know uh, Josh Manson was kind of a darling of the Anaheim fan base for, for a couple of years. And then I think fans kind of soured on him and he didn't necessarily do himself favors, you know, with a lot of kind of boneheaded plays, uh, trying to go for the big up a nice hit as opposed to just kind of playing a, a sound positional game. So where do you land on, on Josh Manson's season uh, last year? So now up on the screen, uh, single seasons on the screen now for Josh Manson, RAPM versus, now flipping it to multi-season, so you'll be able to see that if you're watching the video of this. Um, and now I'm going to go away from it. Uh, but um, I, I think that last season was what we expect from Josh Manson, maybe even a little bit better than what we expect. I think that, yes, you have the issue of kind of the turnovers, and, and maybe that's why you would uh, bring him down slightly. But I would probably still put him in the B to B plus range. I think he, it was a solid season for him. Yeah. He didn't have the, the goal scoring or the production that you that you saw from him a couple times in the last couple of seasons. But I mean, he was solid in his own zone. He I mean, the issue is he only put up 9 points whereas in the previous season he had 16 and in the one before that he had 37, but maybe it's just those weren't unreal those yeah. were unrealistically high yeah. for him. And, and so and 
I think that he had a solid season. I, I think yeah. that he's he had a B2B plus season. And real quick, I want to mention this because Bonnie asked us, are we too hard on him with all the talks about the trades? And one thing I want to mention, yes. we've said this a bunch here, but I, it, it's worth reiterating. The reason why we say Josh Manson should get traded isn't because he's bad. It's because he's good, actually, and because he can bring value back to this team based upon yes. his age. And so mm-hmm. a lot of times when we bring up guys getting moved, that's actually a sign that they're having good seasons um, for this team because if a guy's playing poorly or things like that, that means he doesn't have much value. And yes, that player can be traded to get him out to, to reset the culture, different things like that. But that's not something I really want to speculate on because that's not going to, or even talk about because it's not going to bring back value. Mm-hmm. Like trading Jacob Larson isn't going to bring back value. You, the way that you get value back is by moving value out. And so that's why we bring up Josh Manson in that conversation so much is he actually is good and has been good. I agree. And the thing is, I think that Manson is also a victim of expectations like we just talked about with Lindholm, where they've been so good in the past that a downtick feels like this drop-off. But when you just look at what they actually did, they were still good. They were still really good. I mean, Josh Manson was one of the better defensive defensemen in the NHL last year, still, right? Just purely from a defensive standpoint. So um, I would have him as a B. I think that you know, he doesn't really bring you anything offensively anymore. At least a lot, he didn't last season, and, and that has to be a downgrade. But I think he's a very solid B, and I might even go as high as B+. You know what? I'll go B+. Holidays are coming up. Let's let's keep it jolly. I'll go B+, and Josh Manson. <laughs> well, this Fair is enough. the thing. I mean, this is the argument for the Ducks being good next year, is that they have these guys who have had down years. The, the, def- the defense f- – the funny thing is the defense for this team – is one of the best defenses they've had in the past, I don't know, five, six, seven years. Which says a lot because they've had good ones. (laughs) It's a really good defense for Mm -hmm. this team. And it it has good players. And I think that for the first time in a long time, there is not exactly a weak link Mm -hmm. um, for this team. Whereas you could look back and you could say, well, Clayton Stoner. You could look back and say, well, Kevin Bieksa. You could look back and say, "Well, Francois Bojeme." There's always that one week link that's going to play a significant amount of later in his yes, career. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. The, I definitely should agree. Could agree with that later in his I'm career. I'm just saving you but from the the the, the pushback, the, the backlash, the backlash. <laughs> yes, yes. Later in his career, but that that's kind of my point though is that there's always been that one week link that's going to play a significant significant amount of minutes, and I don't know if there's necessarily that when you have a top four of uh, Lindholm, Manson, Fowler um shattenkirk and mm-hmm. so that is an argument for them being good i just don't know if the forwards are going to necessarily be good enough yeah well that's yeah that's exactly it um okay we have i'm going to call it three more players to look at because there's a lot of guys with not enough sample guys who weren't on the ducks last year let's talk about jacob larson i mean i'll give him a d i'll, I'll be d. kind i'll be kind d. and give him a d bad d. De- bad defensively Bad offensively, bad on special teams, um, all in cushy third line, third pairing minutes. So, uh, D. I mean, I mean, next, D minus, D minus. Yeah, I mean, we could just go straight F. I mean, we, we we very much could, but let's just do it straight F F. Okay, fine. L- let's do it. I mean, I wanted to keep it jolly, but you've chosen to make this <laughs> negative. So shame on you. But whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, low grade we'll just agree low grade okay we've got two more people to talk about because there's a lot of guys that we could talk about like maybe lundestrom or contois but i just don't think they played enough to really go in depth on would you agree yes i agree okay 
Let's talk John Gibson. So this is hard. This is hard. It, it's so hard. Because in my heart of hearts, I, I truly think that John Gibson is at worst the third best goalie in the NHL. But he had a very poor season, not just by his standards, but well, definitely by his standards, but also just league wide wasn't was well below what you would expect. And um, that's not good. I mean, I, I can you give him anything higher than a D? I think you could give him a C minus. Really? Okay. I mean, his his numbers were not good. He and yeah. and I think the the reason why I'd go in the C to C minus range is he was left out to dry. Now, granted, he's been left out to dry a bunch in the past. This is the emotional side of you talking. This this is one hundred percent, and I will completely Fair. admit to that. Fair. Um, and, and so I I think that I'd probably go C minus mainly due to that to that. But I think you're completely justifiable going in the D range. I mean, okay, um, yeah. So and, and, so if you want to be cold and calculating. Uh, John Gibson, if we look at goals saved above, he had expected, a poor season. I mean, poor is selling it short. I mean, he was, he was one of the, you know, he was well below, uh, you know, kind of what you'd want to see in him. And that's, that's just not what we're accustomed to seeing with, with John Gibson, poor season. Sure. Um, but I do kind of have time for that emotional way of looking at it simply because John Gibson has had this insane, unreasonable workload the last let's call it two years and at a certain point like you've often said that that catches up to a a goalie an athlete whoever but particularly a goaltender where you're you know there's so much strain put on your your knees your hips your groin and I just think this was a year where that kind of all came to a head now does that mean that we should just sell out on John Gibson and that he's not no that he's not the goalie that we saw the, the the years prior to that. No, absolutely not. He's, I think that he had a bad season, but he had so many elite, you know, world class seasons before that we we can't be out on him. But for last season, I'm gonna go with a D just because I have to stay true to my methodology. He wasn't That's good. Fair. He wasn't good. But That's fair. that being said, you know, we we wanted to talk about this, but the NHL and this just goes to show how reactive people can be. NHL Network, where they do their top 10 positions this time of year or in the offseason, they didn't even have John Gibson in their top 10 goalies, which to me is just, like, mind-boggling. No matter how down you may be on John Gibson after last year, to say that he's not one of the 10 best goalies in the NHL is is just insanity. Yeah, it is absolute insanity. And now on the screen is actually, uh, for those of you watching the video portion of this, you'll see the the list um from twitter from the the nhl network twitter uh so let's just run through it first is andre vasilevsky second is tuka rask third is connor hellebuck fourth is ben bishop five is jordan bennington six carrie price seven darcy kemper eight robin laner nine jacob markstrom ten anton hudobin carrie price is and i i mean carrie price is one of my favorite players of all time but Carey Price being in that list is purely because of what he did in the playoffs. It has nothing to do with his regular season. Want to want to talk about someone being on this list purely for what they did in the playoffs? Who? I mean, we can we can name a bunch. Jordan Bennington, um, Anton who he wasn't Anton good in the playoffs Hudobin. though. They pulled him. No, but my point the, is the two playoffs, playoffs ago. Yeah, sure. Yes, sure. A- Anton Hudobin. Push back on that. 
Yeah. Push, An- push. An- the fact that Ant... No. How was Anton Hudobin on this list? Anton Hudobin like, had, was 10th in GSAX last season. Yes, I get that. But how was he on the list of top 10 goalies in the league? Um, I think he deserves to be there. I, I do. I think he is that good. And he's been that good. Now, you could argue that he doesn't have the workload to be on that list. And that maybe I have time for. But just in terms of his performances, Anton Hudobin's been up there yeah. in the past. Ben I mean, Bishop, Ben Bishop, I have some I I can hear the argument for him being on this list cuz he was had a really damn good season 2 years ago. Yes. Was the, was but, but guess who was guess who the only goalie he was behind in in GSAX was? John Gibson. John exactly. So Yes. And so why is John Gibson so, not on the list? Yes. So let let well I it's a pretty easy answer. It's the same reason why John Gibson has never won a Vezina trophy. Well, playoffs. They Actually, I don't even know and about win- that. And wins. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, the GMs vote on the Vezina, and uh, there's probably looking at wins and GAA. And this is NHL Network, which is kind of in that same line. So out of these guys, would you put any of these guys over John Gibson? Uh, hold on. Let me just let me just pull up the list. Sorry. Actually, no. I don't even, to, I don't even need to look at it. No. John Gibson. I'd put one. I'd put one, potentially one. Oh, I, can, I, can I guess who you're going to say? Who? Darcy Kemper. No. Oh, really? God, no. I thought you were you were I... a huge Darcy Kemper stand. No, no. Okay. The only the only one that I would potentially put above John Gibson, and now granted, I need to eat crow. This is a guy last season that I was down on, uh-huh. or two seasons ago, and he just was so damn good mm-hmm. last season. Mm-hmm. And deserves the praise and should get the praise for how good he was last year and that he could potentially be better than John Gibson. And that's Connor Hellebuck. Ah, uh, yeah. You do need T. Crow on that because you, yep. you have bashed Connor. I, but, I, but that, I'm, yes, that that is legitimately the only one I think that you can yeah. put ahead of Gibson. Maybe Carey Price. Maybe. No, no. <laughs> and not Andre Vasilevsky either. No, definitely not Vasilevsky. Not Vasilevsky, not not Rask, not Markstrom. Jacob Markstrom is going to be an awful contract in a year or two. Markstrom is an average goalie. He was good last year. I think you can. He's at he's average. Yeah, this he, list he is fine. Th- this list is. I mean, why is Tuka Rask number two? <laughs> I like how we haven't even touched that. Yeah, I don't even know. Didn't they put out? Um, let me see if I can find it. CJ Texas. I think there was a fan list that came out that was much closer to. To what you would want to see from this type of list, I mean, let me see if I can find find it real quick. But I believe John Gibson was like fourth on that list. I mean, I would disagree with that even, but at least he's on the list, right? Yeah, like at least he's on the list. Um, I would oh, say here we go. It was it was NHL twenty one uh-huh. put out their their ranking oh, the ratings of top ten. Well, they had the ratings two. for they had him number two. Yeah, which is fine. Like you, yeah, you you could talk me into him being like the third best because he did have such a bad season. But that's really it. Like that's the lowest I would go on Gibson. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and the and Andre Vasilevsky. Here's the thing on him. I get why everyone has him number one. Well, because he's a robot. He, I mean, he looks like a robot, like a goalie robot. Well, and the fact that he's ha- he's put up good numbers in Tampa. He's won a cup now. He's constantly been good. It's just you look at underlying numbers and kind of contextual numbers, and they're not as great. Okay. Here's the last player that we need to evaluate. Actually, it's not a player. It's Dallas Akins. It's the head coach. Because you know what? Head coaches should be evaluated just like players, in my opinion. 
How would you rate Dallas Aiken's performance this season? I would probably go C to C minus. I'd mm. say average, average, maybe sub, maybe slightly below average. He didn't do, and, and I think that's my feeling on how he was is that he didn't do anything to make the Ducks better necessarily, but he didn't really make them that much worse last year. Yeah, I've I'm kind of of two minds on Dallas Akins, and this is a part of me that I try not to try not to tap into too much, but everything that you heard out of that locker room, especially in the beginning of the season now, it kind of died down as the season got so bad, but it sounded like guys were at least enjoying going into work again, that they were enjoying. That's true. Just, and I think that there is value in just having a coach who brings that out of players, that they just enjoy the process and enjoy being, you know, NHL players and not dreading, you know, going there. But that only has so much value. I would say overall, the Ducks weren't that good. I don't know how much better he really made them. I will give him credit for giving young players opportunities because I think that that's mm-hmm. important. I do downgrade him because the special teams, particularly the power play, was really bad. So overall, I'll give him a C minus. C minus is like that's and that's the exact grade I think he should get. I've said this on uh, Dallas Aikens before, and I'll say it again. This is the the put up or shut up season for him. Yeah, he needs that. This is I I think that you can justify the first season. Isn't he on a two year deal? I don't remember actually off the top of my head. I think it's a two or three year deal. It's hard to fully judge a coach off of a single season, and so I think that yeah, you this is now the season where he's had one year to to figure out the team, figure out the players. Now it's time for him to take the summer. And now, granted, this has been a really long summer, and maybe that, well, that's a built-in Did you read the excuse. interview he had with Eric Stevens? I did. I did. Thoughts? Quick thoughts, since we're, um, like, we're like two hours into this. Yeah, we're, we're, we're a long ways into this. I mean, my thoughts are it didn't really change anything in terms of my opinion necessarily. The, the only thing that stuck out to me is he mentioned he wants the team to play a more aggressive style. That they were yeah. that they were really focused on being kind of just minimizing high danger chances, and uh, kind of packing the the middle lane, and now he wants them to get more aggressive, which I think I I agree with because when they were aggressive last season, like for example, the Ducks were one of the better teams in terms of recovering uh, dumped in pucks on the forecheck. They were actually one of the better teams on the forecheck, and so they clearly have that bone in their body, and so maybe tapping into that. Um, now that you've quote unquote established the the details in your own zone, maybe that 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 will um, that will help. So the, what I give Dallas Aikens credit for is that he at least seems to understand. Like he he doesn't seem out of touch with reality when he talks no. about his team. You know, when Randy Carlisle talked about his teams, he would. I mean, he was capable of being very harsh and and actually being correct. But it always seemed like he just had no inkling of how he factored into all of that. Or, or at least he wouldn't say it publicly. At least with Dallas Aikens, I do think that he is very he's mu- honest. He's very much aware of how much the buck stops with him, and I do appreciate that. Hmm. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Well, I think that's it. Yeah, I think. That, I guess I think that's there's. It. Yeah. The the only other things to really talk about are that. Uh, guess who's uh, top of the Premier League table? Oh God. Oh, Guess who beat Manchester City yesterday and is now top of the Premier League for the first time since 2014? Yeah, I mean, I'm aware. Tot- Tot- Tottenham Hotspur. And then the other thing of note in my world is uh, 
And this is actually this is actually a big deal, and it transcends the wrestling world a little bit. The Undertaker officially retired today. They had this really weird send off in Survivor Series. Okay. There you go. Anyone have questions? We never actually hit questions from the Twitch chat. Let's let's do a couple. I mean, at, at most, because it's it's, so, it's getting late. Lewis, if you've got a wrestling question, please put it in there so I can bug Felix a little bit more. No. With, with that. Lewis, it's all on you. Lewis, it's all on you. But anything from you? Any, 49ers were off this weekend. How's your fantasy football team do? It's been a shit week sports-wise for me. The, the Warriors are basically now guaranteed to be a rebuilding team or, or just trying to make the playoffs with Clay, Clay Thompson tearing his Achilles in a workout um, and being done for the year before the year even starts. So that's depressing. Um, yeah, just not a lot. To, my fantasy team sucked. So I'll, I'll stay away from those topics. Stay away from them. It's, uh, it's for my own good. Lewis wants you to talk him off the, off a ledge, uh, with the Clay Thompson injury. Okay. What's the ledge? The fact that he's on the ledge because of that. I mean, it can go one of two ways. The Warriors will either decide, well, actually, we already know what they're doing. They, they're 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 going to do whatever they can to just make the playoffs now. They're just trying to salvage whatever they can out of Steph and Draymond. I personally would not do that. I would just blow the whole thing up as much as it pains me to say like tank. They're tank. They're tank, they're not tank, they're not going to be uh championship contenders without Clay. And they don't really have a path to getting another piece like him. I mean, or the other door is you trade Clay, just mercilessly trade Clay. And I would even consider trading him for James Harden, who wants out of Houston, and just form another super team. But you're going to burn some bridges along the way if you do that, both with the fans, uh, both with Clay Thompson and, and his uh, his circle. But... If this is all about being good and winning championships, then you should probably be looking to trade Clay Thompson because he just tore his ACL right before, you know, a year before tearing his Achilles. Like, he's not going to be ever the same. It's just not going to happen. So you have to move on from that, but they're not going to do that. Um, I think the approach that they're taking right now is probably the least optimal one. Like, you either swing big and just try to get to, you know, contender status, or you just blow the whole thing up. But they're, it just sounds like they're just trying to you know get to the fifth seed or whatever and i don't know if i love that there was your warriors minute with felix so we got two (laughs) questions let's hit these quick who do you think the future captain is of the ducks um cam fowler see i would have gone cam fowler a long for a long long time so i don't don't know if fowler's still gonna be with this team when gets off retires well okay i think it's gonna be trevor seagrass hmm no, I I don't know. I think they'll You see where I'm I think there's gonna be there's gonna be kind of a transitional uh maybe they're a transitional captain. I don't think it'll go straight from Getzloff to a, a very young player. Maybe they do that, but I could see maybe like Lindholm getting it. I mean, because he's kind of in that age range. I mean his contract status might leave some questions, but um I could see maybe Lindholm, actually. Yeah. So um and Bionic Chris, uh, at, or Bionic Chris asked, uh, do the Ducks uh, get another top 10 pick next year? Oh, is this just gun to my head? Yes. Yes. <laughs> there you go, everyone. <laughs> Felix put it in writing. Remember that. Didn't actually. Remember, re- remember that? You, you put it in uh, podcast form right now where everyone can come back to this in the future. 
hold it against you. Hey, and, hey uh, if, if, if I'm wrong, like, great. I mean, it, it, it benefits our show. It, it makes a lot of people that yeah. we care about happy. So, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but there's a lot of downside risk with this team. And I'm right now that's clouding my, my view. Yep. So I think that's going to do it for tonight's show. Wow. Didn't think, uh, two hours. We, we just passed the two hour mark. Yeah. Well, Hey, thanks everybody for listening. I mean, if you're still, if you're still listening right now, I mean, even more credit to you for making it through the undertaker's retirement story. I mean, Hey, good God. Hey, I barely talked about that as compared to your warrior <laughs> segment. I gave you that. Well, the Warriors thing, I mean, that team is my heart and soul, so... And The Undertaker is a legend of the wrestling industry, and he is now retired in one of the weirdest segments of all time, in my opinion. <laughs> didn't even didn't even go out with a match. Didn't go out with a match. <laughs> it's all well and good. It's all well and good. But thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, hope you have a great Thanksgiving. I mean, it's it's that's what this week is about, right? Hope... Uh, anyway, have a great Thanksgiving. Do, do the right thing is what I'll say. A um, couple different ways that you can support the show, though. Um, first off, I mean, probably the one that helps us, maybe not the most, but definitely helps things kind of keep running is uh, checking out our Patreon page. So patreon.com slash crash the pond. Uh, you have two tiers of support, which you can choose. So for a dollar a month, you get access to our patrons only discord chat. Uh, once the season comes back, which, hey, is coming up, uh, we're going to do a, uh, you know, we do live in-game chats. So we'll just go back and forth, kind of like, you know, you have like group chats with your friends, right, where you talk about certain topics, like some people have their fantasy football chats. Well, that's kind of what this is for the Ducks. This is your Ducks chat, and you can you can converse with like-minded people, diehard fans. So that's for a dollar a month. Maybe maybe we we look into doing some new things with it I, yeah i think you and i should should talk about something yeah yeah and, and, that, and we, that i have in mind to, we, to add to the patreon maybe if we maybe season. maybe if we hit a certain number of patrons we'll we'll upgrade it we'll see or we'll, we'll work on that five dollars a month you get access to two bonus episodes so we go in depth on ducks related topics league-wide topics crazy topics random topics it's whatever you guys really want uh we solicit topics in the uh discord chat before recording and then we go off on our own tangents as well. So that's for five bucks a month. The people that do listen to those episodes, the, the few that I know, they really seem to enjoy them. So <laughs> I think that uh, if you enjoy kind of the banter, the lighter side of this show, uh, you will definitely enjoy the bonus episodes. Now, another way that you can support us, which is completely free, just search for the podcast on the Apple Podcast app, type in Crash the Pond. You can simply leave us a five-star rating. It takes you know half a second. And that really helps. Or you can take it another step up and leave us a review. Those are awesome. We love hearing from you guys. Um, they they really do benefit us, um, not only emotionally, but, you know, for example, potential sponsors look at that, right? And that's going to help us keep this show going and make it bigger and better. So all these different things that you guys do, that's helping us just kind of make this an even better product for you. Um, when we do record the show... Uh, oh, actually, Jake, did you want to talk about the annual subscription for Patreon? Yeah, so we've mentioned this a couple times now, but one of the things with Patreon is they have now given an option to an annual subscription or for us to provide that option with a very slight um, uh, discount. So at 10% discount, uh, you will be able to get a full year. So if you're someone who's a patron uh, currently or want to become a patron and want to be able to subscribe at a, a little bit of a cheaper rate for you than the $5 a month. So instead of paying, what would it be? I think it's $60. Um, uh, 
if you're paying every single month over the 12 months of the year at five dollars i think you get it for 54 dollars uh for the entire year um so that's one option for you if you know that you enjoy the content you're going to want to uh, have it for the entire year that's one way to do it and supports us and it really helps out a lot um so if you're planning on doing that you can get a little bit of a discount there for you yep and when we do record the episodes on sunday nights um you know that may change going to the season we may add more episodes a week we don't know that yet for sure but we go live we do this thing live on twitch twitch.tv slash crash the pond i mean as you can hear as we're doing this um we get a lot of great feedback from people in the chat, you know, asking questions. And so if, if you're into that and you actually want to influence the show and what we're discussing, uh, definitely check us out live on Twitch. Um, if you're an Amazon Prime member, you actually get a free Twitch Prime membership. And so you... I think they are now calling it because I was looking uh-huh. at this because uh, I was adding uh, Amazon Prime to my own account and messing with some things with my own account. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's Twitch Gaming is officially what they're calling okay. it now, not Twitch Prime. Gotcha. So pending on the details, maybe there, but if you are an Amazon Prime member, you should have access to some of the plus features on Twitch and you can actually subscribe to our show on there for free. And uh, that goes a long way for us and it'll get you some perks in the chat. So, you know, like preferential treatment, for example, when we're asking for questions at the end. So that's at twitch.tv slash crash the pond. Uh, we are on YouTube, which is kind of a kind of become its own little thing, its own little community there in those comments, uh, those notorious YouTube comments. That's at youtube.com slash crash the pond. Uh, make sure to subscribe there and um, get the notifications turned on so you know when uh, we are posting. But generally speaking, it's going to be either late Sunday evening or early Monday morning. Um, make sure to check out our website, crashthepond.com. We're also on all of your favorite uh, podcast apps. So Spotify, wherever you do get your podcasts, we're there. Um, crashthepond.com is the website. It's Crash the Pond on Twitter. Jake is on Twitter, Reindeer Games 91 Ask him. Ask, just, just follow him and ask him why Reindeer Games 91 um, it, it, it's pretty obvious. Flood, flood his, flood his mentions, please. Um, follow me on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. Shameless plug, shameless plug. I, I, whatever. It's, it's our show. Um, I have an article going up either at the latest, you know, tomorrow or Monday, or so tomorrow or Tuesday, um, about Ryan Getzlap at the fourth period. So if you want to read about that, it'll be going up. And on that note, Jake, did you have any final things? Turkey, turkey recommendations. Turkey's great. Pie is great. Ooh, wait, Don't we didn't, we didn't, like... we didn't get into this debate. Best Thanksgiving okay, let's foods. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Or, well, thanks. Or should we say stuffing? Or wait, wait. Stuffing. We have a Patreon episode. We have a Patreon episode coming up. We'll get more in depth on on there, but stuffing is the answer. Yeah. The, there, there's your teaser. If you want to hear Felix's awful, awful food takes some more <laughs> and have me be uh, just disgusted by them. <laughs> Ouch. Be, become Harsh. a patron and you'll be able to hear that hear that uh on the next episode i think actually doing that post thanksgiving where we've because i feel like going to thanksgiving you like think about these things it's been a while since you've had it and it really makes you kind of think about them in a specific way i think the next day is a great day for us to discuss thanksgiving food i don't trust you so <laughs> why your, your takes are just <laughs> inconsistent um <laughs> But yes, yeah, so, so a little, little snippet there for you of what to expect. Um, but stuffing is the answer. Just want to reiterate that. Hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving. Have a great week. Have a, have a great end of the year. We're almost, we're almost at the finish line. 2020 is almost, almost over. 
So yeah. just, just power through, folks. Have a great day, and we will talk to you at the next show. Bye.